0: Good morning, everyone, or good evening, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be, on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn where, well, <laughs> it used to be that that was the time when anything could happen. Now, of course, it's all going on 24-7. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about construction. We're going to be talking about building materials we're going to be talking about uh, uh, the length of unsupported spans and uh, uh, all kinds of things like that and it really is totally unfortunately tragically coincidental that we have a major problem going on in Miami tonight Um, you're obviously all aware now that uh, a couple three days ago uh, there was a major stunning apparently, and we'll get into the apparently part in a second, um unsignaled collapse of about half of a major condominium high-rise uh, just north of Miami Beach, uh, on the beach. And um, this has caused all kinds of anguish. There are something like 120-some persons who've been uh, located and who are alive and well. There are 159 who are still unaccounted for. And I believe that the last tally I saw before we came on the air, five now confirmed deaths. This is incredibly tragic because it's this unknown. It's that long drawn out day after day unknown. The one of the anomalous things that I've been noticing in terms of the coverage is that when you have an earthquake in some part of the world and people rescuers rush and start pulling people out of the rubble you have you know people who've survived people who are in air pockets people who are entrapped trapped uh, b-shaped areas of slab concrete so there's a there's an airspace and they're protected from physical injury from things falling on them that's not happening in this case this this building pancaked down in fact if you want to see it in real time you go to the other side of midnight.com you click on the banner tonight for uh, uh, june 26 domes across the solar system that will take you to the guest page uh, right under the guest page you'll see uh, where it says fast links click on my items that will take you to my section down below of radio with pictures item number one um, there's a brand new building that was built in front of this condominium, which was built over 40 years ago, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, 79 to 80, 81, somewhere in that time frame, so it's over 40 years old. In front of it, um, there's there's another building that uh, was is much newer. It's only four or five years old. They have color security cameras uh, looking over the tennis courts and the pool, and by, by chance, uh, there's a stunning video of the actual real-time collapse caught on that security camera. So that's item number one. Item number two, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of speculation, as one can well imagine. I've had all kinds of emails from people who were saying, oh, it's a directed energy weapon. Oh, it's like the World Trade Towers. It's the bad guys upstairs taking a – no, no. No. Let's go back to first principles. How do we know what we know? Coincidence in time is not knowing anything. I mean, just for an example, just for the, the you know, sake of argument, let's assume somebody wanted to do this as a distraction. Why is it Miami? Miami. Why isn't it downtown New York? Why isn't it Trump Tower? You want one hell of a distraction that would preoccupy the world for weeks, figuring out what happened? Why didn't someone take down Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue, tying up traffic in Manhattan, tying up political conversation, tying up all... In other words, if someone is doing this, why pick an out-of-the-way, totally unknown 12-story condominium in retirement country in miami florida however as soon as i saw the geography of the landscape uh, which you can get if you two three and four go to go to number three this shows you satellite images before and after the uh, building collapse right there i think is an obvious major huge clue to why Miami and why this building and why that side? because as soon as I realized it was on the ocean side, for those of you, I mean, I'm currently living in a desert, but I used to live you know by the ocean, uh, both in the Bay Area, and I've spent a lot of time in Florida in the summer in very, very humid, humid, humid. That's the key, humidity. And because these buildings are right on the beach, when you have hurricanes, even when you have major storms, you get a phenomenon called salt spray. Now, salt water is incredibly corrosive. These buildings have steel frameworks covered with concrete. In fact, um, there's a very interesting video at the very end of my uh, uh, section tonight on the uh, on the, uh, situation. It's number four. Um, this is a building um, uh, expert. He's a construction engineer. He has put out a YouTube video explaining all of the potential failure modes and why um, it is most likely, and obviously we will not know until months and months and months go by and there's a tremendous amount of analysis, but it's looking more and more to me like it was salt water corrosion that attacked the steel because this building is not a a, a steel girder frame with concrete over it. It's uh something called um tension slab construction, which means when they uh pour the concrete around the steel. The steel is put in tension, chemical tension. The concrete cures, and then the tension is built in. And it's the tension of the steel wrapped in the concrete, which keeps the structure up. If there is a failure mode, like saltwater corrosion of the steel, and the bonding between the concrete and the steel changes or fails, you're in for disaster and the fact that this has never happened before well we're 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 talking in the country now a great deal about infrastructure we have spent no real money in this country on infrastructure in decade after decade after decade I mean we the interstate highway system was built back in the 1950s now portions keep being repaired but the bridges haven't been repaired are we seeing kind of like the MTB, you know, meantime between failure, MTBF, uh, of old architecture, certainly on a seacoast exposed to general salt air and salt spray and even hurricanes, which of course drench these buildings periodically. Um, Are all these factors, have they all combined? Well, the good thing is, we're going to know. The bad thing is, uh, less than a mile away up the street, up Collins Avenue to the north, there is a twin of this condominium, built at the same time by the same developer with the same construction crew and the same materials. So the mayor of Surfside, which is this, you know, sub sub um, um, satellite of Miami uh, suburb. Um, has seriously been discussing in public that everybody in that condominium probably should vacate now there is one additional element to put into the mix, and that is a few days ago when the u s Navy was testing um uh, the uh, uh Gerald Ford, the latest aircraft carrier to join the fleet, they detonated something like forty thousand pounds of TNT 130 some miles from Miami offshore out in the ocean and there have been some people who said that that might be a contributory factor well it would be if anybody had detected an earthquake but an earthquake at that distance you know would have attenuated uh, enormously in the 130 miles it was a very superficial explosion it wasn't buried you know in the mantle or in the crust. it was you know in the ocean a few hundred feet below the surface, so the primary means of uh, of transferring the shock wave would have been through the water and uh, you know shock waves and sound waves attenuate uh, fairly rapidly in water uh, they go further in uh, in land, but the ocean is very deep you know beyond the continental shelf so I really think we can probably rule that out as one cause, but all of these things will be looked at. The thing that I think is silly, and I wish people would stop doing it, is they keep going to the most extraordinary, outrageous hypothesis with no real evidence and the logic against it because we're living in a fact-free zone. Evidence doesn't seem to matter anymore. It's kind of like your preferred theory of the month. I'd like to stick to the old school way of doing things, which is you accumulate evidence. Let me give you a piece of evidence, which I think is highly relevant. If you go back to my section, item number two, it turns out in 2018, which is three years ago, an engineer did a major structural study of this specific building based on complaints from various residents and found all kinds of deficiencies concrete to um uh oxidized rebar to to you know underground cracking in the parking garage uh i don't know whether you remember but uh, uh robin you know has relatives who live in miami and i visited there many 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 times and you know when i was working on the miami circle which is uh, also you know kind of south of the uh, miami there on the ocean and corrosion is a major problem and groundwater is a major problem because the groundwater is like two feet down the whole of florida is basically made out of what's called uh, oolitic limestone this is limestone calcium carbonate deposited by millions of little organisms over millions of years and it's full of holes it looks like a piece of swiss cheese and it's not very strong. So in order to raise these skyscrapers and a 12 story condominium would have been considered in the uh, early 1900s, a skyscraper. If you would build it in Chicago or New York, they have to basically sink pilings deep into the bedrock, which is of course, this oolitic limestone, which does not have a lot of structural strength. So they make it up by driving the pilings very deep that in turn creates other potential in other words let's wait for the complex and very exhaustive uh, report. FEMA is involved the usgs is involved uh, obviously the uh,
1: uh,
0: fire and rescue locally who are still trying to do rescue on on potential survivors buried in the rubble i must say that in, in when i looked at some of the aerial shots from the drones of the helicopters, that there are portions of this collapsed structure which remind me eerily of the same kind of pancaking we see in, of all places, on the planet Mars, particularly in Gale Crater, where we've had a rover for the last several years, exploring remotely, robotically, what I and my colleagues believe firmly is an ancient, huge, Collapsed arcology that was built on Mars millions of years ago, and because of the environmental conditions, a lot of it is lying there, visible to the discerning eye if you know how to look at the engineering. And it's all incredibly ill-timed for our discussion tonight, which is going to be talking about construction on other planets, starting with the moon across the solar system as evidence of this extraordinary ancient super civilization that i've been proposing now for well nigh on 40 years since i discovered the ancient arcology city to the west of the face on mars back in the very late no actually early 80s gosh how time does fly um what's interesting is this weekend As opposed to any other weekend that we would be discussing this stuff, it is against the backdrop of something very intriguing, which happened simultaneous with all the coverage of the uh, uh, Miami condominium collapse, but of course has gotten almost no notice. And that is the long-awaited Senate Intelligence Report, which was submitted to the Senate from the uh, office of uh, the director of national intelligence, one of the 17 coordinating agencies for the U S government, which gather intelligence all over the world. And as you're going to see in here, even off this world, um, they submitted their report to the Congress, to the Senate on Friday. Now, Friday afternoon is typically known in the news business as the memory hole. If you release something on Friday, and you don't have a lot of money to promote it, odds are it's going to get missed because people leave for the weekend. Uh, There's new crews coming in. Um, Old anchors are away for those two days. Uh, People change staff. You know, the other ships come in. Old ships go home. So it's a great way to bury news of things you want to get lost in the onslaught 24-7 of 24-7 news to which we are all now subjected to. And as soon as this occurred, there were people who were saying, again, without a shred of proof that the Miami collapse had been engineered by someone with a, you know, ray or energy technology to help with the distraction from the Senate report. Again, evidence, please, evidence. Now, Why was this Friday, the 25th, chosen for the release of the um, director of the National Intelligence uh, Agency's report uh, to be released? Well, that I think you can trace to good old political savvy in Washington because it's very obvious from a whole bunch of different directions that this report is something that the uh, uh, mainstream intelligence community, the so-called deep state, those that have been suppressing the reality of extraterrestrial visitation and who's really flying UFOs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, going back uh, 75 plus years now, it's very obvious that they would like to bury this under as much distraction and noise as possible. So the way you control that in the real world is you release it late on a Friday afternoon, hoping that no one, well, I don't think that's going to work a whole bunch of reasons um there are several people who are already making comments and they're very high visibly high visibility people one of them being chris carter remember who chris carter is the creator of the x files um, he's a little cynical about what's going to happen with this report um, his complete comment, well as complete as can be in an abridged story that is um, abstracted from the New York Times, which has a paywall. So unless you subscribe to the New York Times, it would have done us no good to put up the New York Times story, which I think was an op-ed piece that uh, uh, Chris Carter was asked to write. Um, However, there is a very suitable uh, story of the story at Yahoo, so that's what we've linked. Um, I'm a little more optimistic, and that's why I put up item... Number seven, which I thought was really curiously framed because the writer of this um, uh, at Axios, which is a major political uh, news site these days, for basically political news, um, their headline is no matter what the UFO report says, notice they're using the old term UFOs, not UAP, unidentified um, uh, phenomenon uh unidentified flying phenomenon whatever um no matter what the ufo report says the headline in axios the damage is already done now i find this a very interesting take the damage this is written by one miriam kramer why does miriam kramer think that this report is somehow going to do damage well you got to read her, her her story um And she actually makes very clear, Um, she says under the Why It Matters, instead of tamping down anxieties and conspiracies, remember, conspiracies now are the new bad guy. uh, It's possible the release of this report will actually stoke them, even if it says they're unfounded. Uh, And then she goes on with this report, the government is telling people there is something that is potentially threatening. They're also telling people that they were lied to. For about 80 years, said a psychiatrist, uh, Ziv uh, Cohen, uh, in an interview with Axios. Going on, he says, I think the problem is when the government tells you that they were lying, then that makes people naturally think, are they telling us the truth now? Uh, we're not going to spend real any time tonight, except I'm sure my guests tonight will have some opinions, so we'll freely entertain those. But tomorrow night is going to be Senate Intelligence Report Night. I've got um, uh, Steve Bassett and uh, Joseph Bookman back for a repeat performance now that we have real data, now that the report is out there, and we will go into the rather intriguing details, which are intriguing. I mean, it's, it's like there's as much to talk about in terms of what this report does not say as there is in terms of what it does say. I, I, I will end on this note, and that is um, what they do forthrightly is they bring up the possibility, and I actually uh, uh, said this in my uh, uh, promo for tonight's show. There's one key paragraph that I want to kind of quote, which is um, the, the, uh, the report does talk about um, disruptive technologies. In fact, Let me see if I can quote exactly. From the report, UAP, the new name, would also represent a national security challenge if they, UAP, provide evidence a potential adversary has either developed a breakthrough or disruptive technology. So a little decoding is useful here. Breakthrough technology um, implied but not said would be conventionally fueled, something that could allow uh, the Tic Tacs, for instance, to you know, bob around the uh, uh, U.S. aircraft carrier fleets in both the Atlantic and Pacific for hours and hours and hours, I think up to 12 hours uh, at one stint, whereas the F-18s have to go back every hour and refuel. Or, news where the disruptive technology comes in, full anti-gravity. I mean, this, seriously, l- look at what they're saying in a very Emily Dickinson fashion between the lines, telling it slant. They are raising in the midst of this very, 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 very dry, and it's as dry as, as you know, the dust on Mars, this very dry report, they raise the serious possibility as a challenge to national security of a disruptive that is anti-gravity technology manifest in these 140 some sightings that the report actually goes into to list. Now, let me tell you why this is a breakthrough. Because with that one little sentence, disruptive technology, they are literally talking about the entire ball game because as I say later in the promo, Not only does anti-gravity give you spaceflight anywhere in this solar system in hours or, at the most, days without expending fuel, in other words, unlimited range and unlimited acceleration, except for what the pilots, the human crews can stand, and even that may be amenable to uh, anti-inertial Uh, derivatives of this anti-gravity control it also gives you we can kill the camera thank you it also gives you um, extraordinary possibilities for building I'm not talking now about skyscrapers 12 stories high going back in this eerie tragic coincidence tonight that we're having a major building story at the lead of our news i'm talking about building things for the future based on control of gravity and inertia and materials that would literally allow human engineers to build skyscrapers tens of miles tall even on earth remember frank lloyd wright back in the 1920s back in the era of the beginning of the use of concrete and steel, posed within engineering practicalities at that time, building in Chicago, which at that time was the home of the vaunted skyscraper, uh, America's extraordinary contribution to architectural arts. He proposed on earth in the windy city where there are extraordinary temperature extremes, there's wind loading, there's, there are even earthquakes from time to time. Think about the Madrid fault. He proposed building out of steel and concrete in the 1920s, a mile high skyscraper right here on earth with 1920s construction techniques and technology. Imagine if we can control gravity and inertia, And metamaterials, the the, the magic three, as is evidenced by what the Senate intelligence report is manifesting as real 21st century scientific contemporary daily observations now of vehicles that are plying the airways over U.S. battle fleets. You know centered on aircraft carriers with lots of other ships around them imagine if we could harness that technology to build bigger and better things like self-repairable construction self-healing uh smart architecture where every part of the building knows what every art every other part of the building is experiencing and either sends in alerts and warnings to a central control center in the building or just automatically out of materials available in the environment with nano and 3D printing technology, it simply repairs itself. And of course, the scale on which this could be done, given the idea that one can control somehow gravity is almost unimaginable. Such a technology would make it trivial to contemplate a dome like we've discussed on Mars and will again tonight, 30 miles wide and seven miles high over Jezero crater, or perhaps even a dome or a doming technology, which could in fact encompass the entire surface of another planet or a moon a solid moon like Luna or as you're going to see and hear later in the morning you're going to we're going to talk about an extraordinary confirmation of a dome over the ancient moon of Jupiter the largest um, solid body uh, in the solar system that's a planet bigger than mercury the satellite of Jupiter known as Ganymede. And on that note, you are on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. When we return, we'll be joined by a number of guests to talk about domes across the solar
2: system.
3: Don't go away.
1: Suddenly they discovered this thing called deuterium. They've actually shown studies that depleting the water by 30% actually makes mice thrive and grow faster and increasing the deuterium in water by 30% kills them. So in every liter of water there's approximately six drops of deuterium. Well, if we were to put Six drops of cyanide in our water, we probably wouldn't make it. A poison's a poison. Now this is an isotope, so this is a radioactive, but it just stays. I believe deterring serves many, many, many purposes. The history, really, what we should know is the global must have an agenda, and their agenda is to keep us as dumbed down as possible and so we don't recognize what they do and we comply part of the way of doing that is keeping it sick most water is about 155 but anything about 120 actually can affect us from literally a psychosis level and it's affecting our pineal gland and our pituitary gland and of course our right brain so what happens is Excess deuterium makes us sick. Even on the National Institute Health website, they talk about deuterium helping propagate leukemia, and that's them admitting. It, they always have to disclose their BS. That's them admitting it. So you can imagine the other things that it does to our body. It help, we don't resonate. We don't sleep very well. I think it is the single biggest tool that the globalist, the cabal, is the biggest tool they have that puts us in a state that we don't recognize anything and we don't resonate and vibrate at the highest level possible. Hello, Lewis Herms here. Wow, what a fantastic time on the other side of the news with the eclectic cast what incredible information and I was so happy to be here.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight for this Saturday, June 26th. Yeah, Tonight we're going to be talking about uh, domes. We're going to be talking about another extraordinary, unusual phenomenon that uh, has been discovered in Jezero Crater on Mars. Whether there's a dome there or not is almost irrelevant because the phenomenon itself stands by itself. And we've got uh, uh, Holger Eisenberg, who is going to be regaling us with with the details. In fact, uh, although he didn't find it, he's assembled the most interesting uh, evidence of its unusual uh, characteristics. So let me kind of give you a little thumbnail as to who Holger Eisenberg is, and we will do this, and then we'll do that. Holger has done system operation and consulting around Java-based enterprise applications since 1999 in Germany and moved uh, in 2016 to Silicon Valley. He's now solving customer problems at a company specializing in providing high performance Java. In his spare time, he is applying software engineering skills on public data provided by Mars and other spaceflight missions uh, encompassing a number of uh, governmental uh, programs, including uh, NASA and ESA and uh, the Indians and many others who are out there. The Chinese now, of course, have landed their uh, spacecraft Zhurong on um, on Mars. Um, about wait, um, maybe almost now two months ago. I kind of lose lose track of time. There's so many things going on. Um, so anyway, without further ado, let me welcome Mo Holger to the other side of midnight. Holger, are you there? Say again. There you are, there you are. Good evening, okay. Um, Let me also introduce uh, Ron Gerbron. Ron is our resident generalist who, um, you know, I'm continually impressed with Ron's range of information on a wide variety of topics, although I will say that he seems to spend a lot of time on archeology. span which, of course for what we're trying to do is very appropriate and he will have some comments tonight on several of the items that we've been discussing i'm sure he has some thoughts about miami
3: and uh so
0: without further ado ron welcome back
3: oh hi there uh, yeah uh anthropology note the recently discovered skull that was in the news this week uh from china the dragon man.
0: Oh, oh wait, 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 I I totally missed it. I've been so focused on getting ready for tonight and obviously trying to follow what's going on in Miami because of the uh, Robbins connections that right. What was discovered in China
3: and when? Oh, they well, it was actually found in 1930. They a ah. um, you know, the Japanese were overrunning parts of China at that time and the um so they had pressed a local Chinese fellow In the service, cleaning up something, and he was digging out the foundations for a bridge, and in a mud bank, he found this entire intact skull. So he wrapped it in he wrapped it in something and hid it away so that they wouldn't take it, and ended up. So so who who wouldn't take it? The Japanese? Yeah. Ah. Okay. Just you know, item of interest. I mean, didn't you see? uh slaughterhouse 5 where they picked up the uh Dresden figurines and got shot for their trouble trying mm. to save them uh yeah the uh something like that i suppose anyway who and I i've been never to been fellas. into kurt vonnegut i'm sorry i of all
0: the people that i've read over decades and decades vonnegut kind of leaves me
3: cold i i just don't know why but never did he, it for me he seems a, yeah he seems a little bit insufferable sometimes <laughs> no i was tell you I was talking about the movie, uh, the um, but I th- I'm sure that's in the book. It was supposed to be a personal anecdote of his from World War II. Uh, anyway, in the case of this one in China, uh, under this bridge, the, uh, he finds this big skull, and he hides it away, and it ends up in a museum, and uh, it sits there for all these years, and just last week – uh they said oh well we've been looking at this and now we've decided that the new species
0: whoops did we lose ron oh god i love technology okay uh ron will rejoin us momentarily so that will give me a great window to introduce the third member of our triumvirate tonight uh tim saunders is a british national who grew up near the south coast of the united kingdom i'm back
3: and you're back. Oh. Okay. All right. We will we will uh sorry. We'll we will put Tim That's on hold. Second time already and the show's only half an hour old. Um, anyway, it's not it's a Denis it's a Denisovan skull is the Oh the
0: wow. You, so you're gonna have to tell and, people what Denisovans or Denisovans or however you pronounce it what they are.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um didn't, let's see, how can we do this without wasting any time? Uh, in 2010, they identified uh, that is people researching DNA extracted from things like ancient teeth. Uh, this uh, discovered that there was a new species. It had been cataloged with miscellaneous old precursors of humans uh, in the troglodyte, troglodyte box uh, for a long time. But um, they said, oh, and it was from, so they discovered it was a unique different species, which got named after the place that it came from which is what you do, which is a cave in Siberia called uh, Denisova. And that in Russian means Denis's cave. (laughs) But the Russian pronunciation is probably Denise. So I keep saying Denisovan and I notice some people do, and some people say Denisovan. Uh, I'm ambivalent on that. But whichever wins, yeah, fine. Anyway, that's what it is. So until uh,
0: now, we only had a few, I think, finger bones and maybe a leg bone or something, Oh, you know, one leg
3: bone, one tooth.
0: Yeah. Which could be represented on a small coffee table are some total of Denisovan um, artifacts or, or, um, you know, the treatise or, you know, remains. And then suddenly, because of a guy digging a bridge for the Japanese during the invasion back in the 1930s, there's an entire Denisovan skull that was sitting quietly in the museum for decade after decade after decade, this is extraordinary. Oh, it happens all the time.
3: Uh, in the 1850s, the uh, first discovery of Neanderthals in uh, that valley in Germany, which is also what they were named after. The valley. Neander Valley. Uh, the yeah, well, it's yeah, Neander's Valley. There was a guy named Neander. That's a whole story. Uh, but the they that's in order to prevent academics from getting into hair pulling fights over who gets to name it after themselves, there's a standard protocol where you name something new like that after the place that it's found. Oh. Uh, and so see, so that's why these Chinese researchers wanted to tag it as something new because you know, then well you saw, it's already gotten an, an illustrated article in scientific American and National Geographic and but it's no it's it's probably it's almost certainly a uh, Denisovan skull uh, which is good because now we know what they look like and they are probably prone to giantism so that might be some of the giant stories but they definitely don't look like us but they don't look like a, a uh, an ape either well um, if, if you have so an entire
0: skull I presume it has the jaw is still there
3: there are teeth and some teeth
0: Oh, mm-hmm. this is yeah, they, like, this it, is like this is like Christmas. This is incredible. Yeah,
3: yeah, they haven't run the they haven't run the tests yet on the uh, DNA. That's why these guys thought they, you know, sneak that in. So it's uh, if you try and look up uh, Dragon Man or yeah, Dragon Man, uh, you'll get a hit off of Google. But if you try one of the um, more technical sites, you'll get nowhere. And if you try Homo longi, which is what they Uh, decided to name it, which means dragon and mandarin, apparently. So how, Uh, if, 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 hang on, hang on,
0: if if the Chinese, I I, I will get to Tim. Tim, sorry, we will get to you momentarily. If, if, if they're identifying it as a new branch, a new hominid branch of the family tree, Mm -hmm. and you're saying it's Denisovan, how do you know what Mm -hmm. they don't know?
3: Well, because it matches in everything except the DNA, which has not yet been measured. Uh, the characteristics from the few scraps we do have—it's got an improbably huge molar, which so does the uh, so does the other, the one the, the jawbone that was found ah, already in 2010. So the, so 2010. the, teeth, so the it,
0: teeth that we've got match what's in the skull,
3: right? And it's got a very it's got a very extended cranium, which is like but not identical to that in neanderthals because remember they had bigger differently shaped brains than we do uh but it uh, there's uh and they yeah they also found evidence of a um mixture see there are a couple of extra pieces in our dna that haven't been cataloged you know we know they came from somewhere else you know something else but they there's at least two missing subspecies or precursors uh, that we have located. Well, this located. is not trivial. This is major, this major
0: news. And one last question, then yeah. we're going to get to Tim. Have the Chinese, okay. which I presume any rational academics would do, now began begun to look through all their museums, all their stacks, all their archives hidden in the basement, dusty boxes, ancient expeditions out to the West in, in China? In other words, are they looking to see if they've got more cool stuff that nobody noticed.
3: Of course they are. That's all, that always happens, too. I, last thing, I, always, I started to say this. The reason I mentioned Neanderthals was that it turned out that some Neanderthal pieces, bones and stuff, had been found in some caves at the base of Gibraltar uh, like 40 years earlier. And they had been sitting in a museum ever since because everybody just said, okay, cavemen, and they uh, they hadn't been cataloged. And it was only after the discovery in Germany that they were found. But they still get called Neanderthal because it gets named after the place it's found, even well, though they had technically found I mean, those
0: earlier. Actually, life and fate may have rescued us. Can you imagine having to say at a conference, the Gibraltarians did this? and the Gibraltar- yeah. In other words, Neanderthal is easier. Okay, Tim. Tim Saunders is a British national who loves boats and Sorry, yachts Tim. and maritime. He chose his ideal career uh, at about the age of 10 when he decided to become a yacht designer. And lo and behold, with a lot of work and a lot of luck and a lot of you know what it takes, he became a yacht designer. In fact, he's working on a really cool yacht now, so we might want a little update on the yacht when we bring him on. He studied industrial design at the Coventry University and is fortunate to have been chosen by many of the world's most revered yacht design studios to work on an array of live projects of different sizes, styles, and uses, doing what he affectionately calls his apprenticeship
4: years. And
0: you can read the rest. Tim, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight.
4: Good morning. Good uh, morning. Thank you very much for a, a glowing introduction. Thank you.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, there is a message to my madness. Since you are a marine architect and an engineer and a designer, okay. I presume you've been looking at the Miami situation. I'd like each of our guests this morning, uh, Tim and Ron and Holger, to venture, if you have one, an opinion, given that there seems to be a plethora of opinions over something that really is quite remarkable
4: hmm okay well I've seen the footage I, I saw it um, I just been studying the links on your your page as well just to make sure I didn't miss anything I have not seen the interview with the engineer but I, I do I do look forward to I look forward it's it,
0: very I? good he's really yeah. good he teaches well he starts from the mm, sorry about this ground up And he lays Mm -hmm. out these hypotheses in a way that's rational, open-minded, and lets us await real evidence, real data for when it comes in. I really am so tired of people leaping to the ET UFO nonsense model without any evidence. I mean, just politically, if somebody wanted to do this as a distraction, why not take down Trump Tower? Come on.
4: Or any other tower. For example, yeah, but given Um,
0: given the uniqueness of Trump in our political scheme of things, you know, uh, that would be the biggest bang for the buck. And if some wanted a distraction to bury the UFO report out of the Senate, which is what this theory says, uh, this all happened because of, which I think is nuts, it would be to me, New York City, the Big Apple, Fifth Avenue, Trump Tower, and you you, monopolize the conversation for months. For months
4: well by saying that this in any case you're bringing attention to it Richard so let's just drop this because it's it's a speculation isn't
0: it extraordinary on see if, if it hadn't been the several UFO researchers that I kind of have been following their work have actually sent me serious emails proposing this I wouldn't have brought it up but it's one of those things where you know absurd things that are not answered Are assumed to be true. And I think we have to really get off the mark and answer nonsense with real facts. Otherwise, we're going to lose civilization. We cannot live in a bifurcated society where half the people believe one set of facts, and the other half believe alternative facts. That way Mm -hmm. lies disaster. So, I agree with your,
4: your thinking. I just yeah. think that we should not bring attention to things which are pure speculation and let the facts... But they're all, it's
0: already out there. Remember, we have a thing called the Internet. Social media. Yeah, I know, but you're,
4: st- you're still ringing the bell, Richard. So, you you're, know, let's... we are rooting for
3: mayhem. Yeah.
4: <laughs> let's go on to other things. But let's go on to what we do know. I mean, you, are, you asked me a question, I think. Yeah, of course. And you asked the others a question. Is what do we think happened? So, I've seen the footage... Uh, which was caught on video, security video camera. And we do not suspect it's been tampered in any way. So I guess it's a fairly reliable source. The building came down pretty fast, which does bring to mind, you know, some of the uh, studies that have been done on the 9-11 towers, uh, where those went into freefall, all three of them, including building seven, um, which does say, well, that came down pretty fast. So did the walls collapse? below in an instance, but we, we have no speed measurement yet. We have no data to say it went into free fall. But I think one of the big differences between this building in Miami and, and the 9-11 events was the in-between floors the material, and material in the Twin Towers seemed to just vaporize, disappear, turn to dust, whatever it is that has been termed that actually happened in that event. But you know, there was not a huge amount of rubble, yes.
0: There's a A huge pile of debris, 30, 40 feet high. And you can see the stacked layers of concrete, unlike the World Trade Towers, where things were dustified. The material, the mass just disappeared, blew away in the wind.
4: That's what I'm saying, but the other way around. So in the Miami event, it does seem there's a lot of debris left. So you can see the different layers of pancake, the floors pancaked into each other. So it it looks to me like... uh, it, it was an accidental event it looks to me like as you say that the steel could well have um, deteriorated due to corrosion and it lost its tensile strength and therefore the concrete became like an empty shell that was no longer being supported and maybe that was the moment that it decided to go let go i don't know but uh the question is why well it, if it was deliberate then you can see there's some very shiny new homes along that same, same seafront And this is like a a fairly old building.
0: Forty years.
4: Okay, well, it didn't look as shiny as the other ones. So, for example, what comes to mind is if somebody wants to do a land grab, and this is a pretty vicious land grab, if this does, speculation does come, play out. But the point is, if somebody wants to take that land over and put another new shiny building on there and make some money, then they may be they may have wished to bring the building down somehow, but you would think you would ask the people sleeping inside to get out first. So, you know, it's...
0: Well, there was all kinds of forewarning. There apparently were creaks and groans a couple of days before. People on phones to relatives reported it. Uh, that very night, there were weird noises. Um, going back at least five or six years apparently the engineers have measured the ground sinking at the rate of a few millimeters per year under the specific building and mm. florida is notorious because of the olitic limestone again porous as a piece of swiss cheese for what are called sinkholes so when they say this was un unprecedented and unannounced the more you look at the details the more the evidence comes out, including this uh, uh, engineering report from 2018, this building had a lot of problems. Parts of it were sinking. It did not have a box beam construction. So there's nothing other than the tension of the steel in those slabs, literally holding it up. How much of a differential angle, uh, Tim, does it take before the shearing forces on the steel that's holding the slabs to the side of the of the building before they shear off, and then you get a bang, 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 pancaking, you know, collapse because it's one floor on another, on another, on another as they fall together.
4: Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't take a lot once, once it goes past the you know safety margin. But I mean, the thing is, as you mentioned, the steel. Could well have corroded due to the sea mist. Well, we
0: know from the bed. engineering guy's report in 2018 it was corroding,
4: and his oh, his
0: report re- reads like a four-alarm fire, and
5: nothing was done. No.
4: That gets the other thing. Disagreed. The other thing that's Go ahead. Boring. Go ahead. I was just going to say the other thing that's worth mentioning is that you know, with multiple visits I've made to Miami and Fort Lauderdale areas, they are continually increasing the height of the roads because of the sinkage and the sea level issue so oh, you know no. when you when you you know move weights around you you take land away from somewhere and you put it somewhere else then you also displacing and perhaps disturbing the uh, the substrate and the, of the you know you also have those buildings built on sand basically aren't they, aren't they? at these beaches at, at well these, they have to they
0: have to drive projects. the pilings deep into the limestone but here's another question I have Um, isn't concrete a hygroscopic material, meaning it acts like a sponge? And given that the water table is like two feet below the surface in Florida, even if you drive pilings and sink concrete, you know, 50 feet down, isn't that going to wick up salt water, which will then begin to corrode the steel in an inevitable Mm. process? And this has been going on for 40 years. With nobody doing any major, you know, reconstruction, uh, it, it, to me, it's almost like there's been a clock ticking, and it's now struck midnight, and there's a whole bunch of other engineering and architecture that we need to be looking at proactively, vigorously, because this could just be the beginning of mixing our metaphors, Natalie, a set of dominoes falling all over the country.
4: I think this is the most likely scenario, absolutely. I, I did some project studies a few years ago on actually creating a, the project was to design a, and build a huge floating um, floating building, which would, in all intents and purposes, look like a mega yacht, but in fact, it would be a building. And, you know, we, we calculated using steel for the hull and, and aluminium for certain parts and composite. Obviously, the higher you go, the lighter you want to go in order to maintain a sort of a safe uh, centre of gravity. Because even though this was uh, it, it, it was a building, it was still a floating building, so it, obviously the stability was very important. But we, we did look into the possibility of building the whole mega yacht-looking vessel uh, from concrete, and we went to great lengths. Uh members of my team went to visit the university in the uh, research department in the university in Germany I forget which, which city it was now but we came back with quite a conclusive report yes it's possible but the moulds uh, required in order to create the shapes would be far so, so so much more expensive than it would be simply to build it from steel and to protect it properly uh, against corrosion But anyway I'm digressing slightly but yes there have been concrete harbors. There have been concrete. Well, walls, didn't Kaiser during
0: walls. World War Two build Liberty ships out of concrete?
4: I believe. I believe. Yes. I mean, he, um, he turned them
0: out like they were turning out two or three a day, or something. It was an incredible mass production effort, and he literally poured the damn hulls out of concrete and then covered them with something so they didn't wick up the uh, seawater.
4: That's that's the key point, let come back to your point, is yes that the concrete needs to be sealed and when it becomes uh, water impermeable it, it, it is then something which can survive but as soon as water goes into the actual matrix of the concrete then yes it starts to uh, corrode but again that said the Romans used to build sea defenses from their version of concrete and they used to put an additive in um, but you know, one thing is to have a sea defense, and another thing is to have a ship or a building. So, hmm. Uh, it's...
2: hmm.
0: Okay. Um, we've got about three minutes till the top of the hour. Uh, Holger or Ron, do you have any thoughts on the subject of Miami before we move on to something much more relevant to yeah. our discussion?
3: Uh, yeah. It's. I think Tim has a point about it. Could have been. Uh, sabotaged to some degree, but you know they would have expected it would take long enough that people would say, oh, this place is creaking, I'm getting out of here, and everybody would have vacated, because uh, he's right about the property values and everything else there, and there was supposed to be a uh, structural safety engineer or something was scheduled to be there the day before. They did um, something
0: on the roof, and the question that's been raised is, yeah. did they put anomalous mass on top going back to Tim's idea that you want the mass on the bottom because of center of gravity. And was it like one feather, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, the force that literally triggered the shearing on the, on those tension uh, uh, constructed steel uh, rebar reinforced slabs. In other words, the engineering deconvolution Mm -hmm. of what happened I think is going to be critical because we have a huge, amount of aging infrastructure in this country that's not been touched in decades and is just a, a terrible tragedy again and again just waiting to happen and this could be again mixing our metaphors the uh, canary in the mine you no
3: know, i think i think that's very plausible it's just if this one got so much publicity because of the loss of life and the um, rather horrific spectacle <laughs> the thing coming down uh, all right we are uh, at the
0: uh, we are at the um, bottom of the hour I think we're at the bottom of the hour no we're at the top of the hour gosh how time does fly you're on the other side of midnight my guests this morning are Holger Eisenberg Tim Saunders and Ron Gerbrand you can read their bios on the guest page at the other side of midnight Uh, each of them has a diverse perspective on what we're going to talk next which is construction techniques and scale and the impossibilities of doing what I think from the data was done, namely huge ancient domes across the solar system. You're on the other side of midnight. We shall return. <music>
5: Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com.
0: welcome back everyone for this Saturday night June 26 2021 we've been discussing of course this horrible tragedy in Miami and there must be you know nothing nothing worse than not knowing to be stuck in this uh, uh, you know dimension where it's it's kind of like that old you know radioactive cat thing the uh, uh, I, I, I can't think of the appropriate physics term for it right now where the cat is simultaneously Alive and dead and it, you don't really know until you open the box um, uh, This is uh Schrodinger's cat. Thank you. Thank you um, I mean 159 people are missing everybody's calling in relatives are calling cell phones there is no answer and the, the agony of not knowing, I mean, just, you know, say a quiet prayer for all those people in Miami tonight because there are real, real people undergoing this excruciating not knowing. So we welcome our guests back, uh, Tim Saunders and Ron Gerbrunn and Holger Eisenberg. Holger, I want to go to you for a couple of reasons. One is uh, you're an engineer. I mean, you're in electronics, but engineers are engineers, and they think logically. And uh, if you have any thoughts on Miami, uh, you obviously uh, are free, uh, free to express them now. Otherwise, we'll get on to something that you discovered this past week on Mars, which I find so incredibly
6: interesting
0: so um go ahead whatever
6: you want to say i I was wondering because the only news i heard from uh, florida the recent week was uh, this this test explosion uh, 200 kilometer across the coast uh, in the uh, near the bahamas and uh, then this uh, this house uh, housing failure but uh, i looked up the earthquake map and uh, there was there were similar expo- uh, test explosions already four years ago, so that is not something extraordinary for that region at least while at the same time it's a region where you don't have so many natural earthquakes so the others uh, the latest earthquakes in the latest in the last twenty years was uh, in Cuba oh. And not uh, otherwise, not much is happening
0: there. The see, what most people don't know, and I lived in California for many, many years, and it's only more apparent there because you have major fault systems, the San Andreas and the Hayward and those faults. But if you actually have sensitive seismic gear and listen, anywhere on Earth, the ground is constantly at a very, very, very low level it's not quiet, it's shaking. There are all kinds of sounds and waves moving through it due to tides and, and uh, weather systems and uh, traffic. I mean, Collins Avenue on which this high rise was built right there, uh, you know, north of Miami is a major thoroughfare. So I imagine like on Brickle, which I'm more familiar with, Brickle Avenue uh, somewhat to the south. There are trucks and there's lots and lots of traffic. Traffic in 40 years has gone up exponentially, and it's traffic that causes vibrations: trucks, cars, accelerations, you know, traffic lights, stopping, starting. So, I mean, the ground vibrations have been constant, if not increasing, for decades uh, there in the environment of this of this high-rise. And I really, if you actually do some numbers, you know, exploding some TNT uh, almost 150 miles away uh, in an ocean, which doesn't transmit energy very efficiently, um, it, it just seems to me that we can relegate that to the really far-out speculative, you know, just to think of everything and kind of look at it. Uh, much more likely, you know, in, in concert with, with Tim, I believe we're looking at saltwater corrosion. And again, to me, a major clue is it wasn't the side of the building facing the vibration, facing Collins Avenue, which came down. It was the side of the building facing the Atlantic Ocean with salt spray, hurricanes, you know, the, the sea just a few hundred feet away, humidity. That side of the building collapsed. The the land side, even though it was right next door, is still standing, although somewhat uh, precariously. So, let us move on now to another planet let's go from earth miami to mars to Jezero crater and you take up a story there tell us what you discovered what you did with it point to various uh, aspects of radio with pictures where you listed this stuff because this is the most extraordinary uh, phenomenon on mars that frankly in terms of surface imaging I think I can say without fear of contradiction that I've ever seen. It's an amazing event that you were able to assemble into a panorama of, I believe, what three Navcam images
6: from Percy? Yeah, it's only three images, but at least it was uh, quite a surprise. Uh, and I noticed it uh, last week uh, uh, when I took a look again at my own website, uh, which I do every few days. <laughs> to see if it's working still fine, because it's a a completely automated website, which I created uh, a few days after the Perseverance landing, uh, and it is delivering uh, color calibrated uh, images from the engineering cameras of the Perseverance rover, and uh, one um, Sherlock camera, which is a science camera, and it is continuing every day, collecting images, uh, calibrating them and uh, making them available for the public to browse through. And uh, usually I I never took a close look at those panorama images, which are taken almost every day uh, by the navigation camera, which is panning a wide 90 degree field of view near the horizon for I guess originally it is created for monitoring dust devils if they happen. And usually those images always show every day the same, nothing happening there and quite boring. And I never looked at them in data. But uh, then last week I noticed that uh, no new images were coming in and it looked like there was some fail on the website. And I took a closer look and uh, then so suddenly uh, those three um, uh, images with this giant uh, dust cloud near the horizon, spanning uh, over a distance of three kilometers. So a, a huge dust cloud directly layering above the surface, uh, almost looking like an earthquake. Because if you if you have seen some videos of. Uh, uh, Natural scenery of earthquakes near mountain ranges, you sometimes see a sudden dust cloud appearance near the fracture zone, and that uh, was the same way as this dust cloud, dust cloud was appearing on the navigation camera image as on those three images.
0: Okay, if you go to the other side of midnight, click on tonight's banner for the 26th, that will take you to the guest page. Under the Under the guest page banner, you will see Uh, fast links click on holger that will take you down to his section of radio with pictures click on item number one this is a repeating gif an animated gif and it shows this extraordinary dust storm sweeping in from right to left Um, i believe these images are taken what every 15 seconds holger correct every
6: 15 seconds we have three images so All three images are spanning 30 seconds if you count from the first one then. uh, For the dust cloud was moving uh, within 30 seconds over the whole field of view of this camera. The field of view is 90 degrees. And uh, if I got the distance correct, uh, the total length, what we see here is about three kilometer of this white dust cloud. Okay, us Americans
0: like Miles that's about 2 miles, two miles. <laughs> and the mountains around it the 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 crater rim okay. is significantly high it's several thousand feet high so you can see in optical projection this dust not only hugs the surface but it rises up in many places simultaneously to above the crater rim it's just it's an extraordinary phenomenon and the more i've looked at it the more intriguing it becomes because the first thing you want to ask yourself on a planet with an atmosphere that's supposed to be one one hundredth as dense as the air we're breathing right now. Everybody, you know, listening to me is breathing air hundred times denser, supposedly, than on the surface of Mars. And yet the dust is incredibly prolific. It moves with very high speed. It reaches very significant lengths. The sky is brilliantly, brilliantly lit of uh, through scattering of something in other words everything about this says how can this possibly be occurring in an atmospheric density only found on earth
6: at above a hundred thousand feet that, that was also my wondering uh, uh, what is transferring the energy moving away this amount of dust that is the question at this low density atmosphere and That was uh, the reason I was immediately uh, thinking about an, an earthquake, because that, that is a picture you, you see on Earth, uh, if you see that such a uh, sudden appearance of dust over such a wide area. But uh, there was no earthquake on Mars at that time, and uh, if you look closer, you see it. It is, it is indeed dust..: pretty-
0: Now, the reason we know that, even though perseverance does not have, technically a seismometer. It is a spacecraft, it has a computer, it has what's called an inertial measuring unit, which has accelerometers and gyroscopes and all that. If a, if a serious earthquake had occurred uh, near Yezero we would have known it, all right? Nothing uh, happened uh, beneath the surface of the, of the uh, crater floor. So whatever this was, was an atmospheric phenomenon. And it was like a mini, dust storm you know miles across moving at high speed do you know do you remember how fast it was moving
6: yeah, yeah if i the problem is to estimate the distance but my estimation about the distance is that it starts about two kilometer away and then extends to about uh, five kilometer distance and uh, on the hor- horizontal uh, location from right to left it is moving about those three kilometers within 30 seconds uh, so it is it is moving with about 300 to 500 kilometer per second if i got the distance correct you know uh, you, 300 you mean hour, hour. per hour yeah 100 which per is second. bigger
0: than any hurricane that we've known on earth uh, but for for mass
6: situations it is in the range of the expectation if you look up uh, literature uh, it is dust uh, dust gusts are expected about five hundred kilometer per hour that can happen uh, but what is special here that the dust is not whirling upward Well, that's like
0: it, years ago when I was palling around with Sagan he quoted me numbers for dust storms on Mars observed from Earth, Lowell, etc. Of like 300 miles an hour so we're we're dealing with a 300 mile an hour wind that comes out of nowhere and dissipates as rapidly as it formed and raised a huge amount of dust in the process which you can see tracking across the landscape because of the synchronization of these images every 15 seconds (laughs)
6: Yeah, and if you, you find all kinds of interesting details. If you look closer into it, uh, That uh, the whole structure of the dust is, in my opinion, it is uh, extending like a ring or a, a rope structure. Oh, my. Expanding. Should, should, we, look a, now at, I,
0: I, should we look now at item uh, number
6: two? I, yeah, I marked it in the second image. Uh, okay. I'm, uh, with this... Uh, blue markings where I uh, followed this expanding ring ring structure of this dust expansion from right to left.
0: So what we have here is the same panorama, the same animation, the same dust storm moving 300 miles an hour from right to left, but you've added some letters
6: and lines.
0: So describe what we're seeing in terms of your overlay.
6: Let's focus on this blue line. And the blue line is following uh, the center of of the dust expansion and what you notice in the end that the lines are separating finally in the end you have two blue lines so there are two uh, lines of dust separating from each other and if you uh, move it around in virtually in a 3D environment, then, and think you would see it from above, then you would see uh, a structure expanding like a ring on the surface, which is shown in the next image. And to, uh, okay. to uh, be able to uh,
0: So we want to click on number three between, now. Yeah,
6: uh, to, to be able to correlate between both images, I added those markers ABC, which is marking uh, two mounds on the surface and uh, one smaller rubber pile there uh, to um, uh, better correlate uh, the scenery photo with the map photo on the next image. Okay, so uh,
0: A in this third image, we're now looking at an aerial perspective view. Uh, You've got a scale of five kilometers on the right. You've got the perseverance location. Uh, Is that C?
6: Yeah, on the lower left, we have uh, the rover, the camera location, and uh, upper left and upper right, the A and B mount, which we previously saw in this horizon photo, and- uh, So A A and B
0: are portions of the crater rim. Yeah, the
6: two mounts we see there. And on the bottom, this blue line is uh, symbolizing the expansion of this dust ring. And it, in my opinion, it is actually a ring. So it it is not a huge cloud expanding, it is a ring expanding, like a a water vortex ring. So
0: it's not not like a bubble, it's more like a vortex.
6: Yeah, a vortex ring. Wow. A A vortex ring or a smoke vortex ring in in the atmosphere.
0: Which is expanding at 300 miles an hour.
6: Yeah. I I marked the timing here. The, The smaller ring is the starting position in the first image then the next image 15 seconds later, and then the third image another 15 seconds later, so 30 seconds later from the original image, and those three steps are marked in this map. So
0: this is like an explosion of a ring of dust, obviously raised from the surface, localized and expanding outward from a, from a specific fixed location to the north of the rover, Toward what we call the delta, which is where this ancient river from the upper left entered the crater and you know spread out muds and sediments which became rock over millions of years. but what would have precipitated such a sudden localized storm? This is not like a dust devil uh, this is this is very, very different, very dramatically different in fact i don 't think I've ever seen anything else like this in any other surface or orbital imagery that I've looked at from Mars for decades, going back to Viking.
3: Richard, yes, more us. like a sandstorm. It's more like a sandstorm on Earth than a dust storm.
6: Yeah, well,
3: uh, sure, but uh, you know, it's in Simo- it whatever they call them. I mean, they most of the most of that sand is carried in the turbulence that moves along like it's got a mind of its own. It's not picking. It's not just picking stuff up off the ground.
0: Well, wait, wait, wait. where would it like have come itself? from? If, 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 if a T zero, according to Holger's images, again from from Percy, uh, you can actually see uh-huh. this thing begin as a localized, um, you know, point source. It didn't. It wasn't brought in from somewhere else. It started on Mars, north of Perseverance, between Percy and the uh, delta of the uh, river, you know. Delta.
3: It's a vortex. It picks stuff up. It picks uh, stuff up as it. So yes, it's picking it up from 50, the surface.
0: But it's got to be a lot yeah. of stuff because, again, we're told the density of the air on Mars is equivalent to 100,000 feet over Earth. See, Holder, yeah, this hard is to swallow. This is where I'm getting. I think you've discovered stunning additional evidence that the atmosphere on Mars is not the canonical one one hundred it's about one
6: tenth that that would be an explanation, but i'm also I'm also seeing uh, an alternative alternative explanation for the provider of the energy that it might be more electromagnetic because uh, if you see dust devils they have a high electrostatic field, and that uh, would also be an alternative but at least from
0: now, wait, wait, wait. I, I when, 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 when you say dust devils on Mars have high electrostatic fields, is this a model or do we have actual uh, surface measurements from Spirit or Opportunity yeah. or Curiosity? Uh, we've only got, you know, four active spacecraft. Well, now three. Uh, or InSight, I guess that's four. Um, have we ever measured the electric fields of dust devils that have crossed these rovers? Because I know the rovers have been crossed by dust devils. That's what's removed the accumulation of dust from the solar panels. They call it regular or semi-regular cleaning events. And it was not modeled when the spacecraft were built. They felt they would degrade over time. More and more dust would accumulate. The electricity production from solar energy would go down and down and down. And then fortuitously, serendipitously, find that on these spacecraft on the surface, you have these dust devils, these vortices, that periodically go across your spacecraft and clean, like a garage attendant at an old fashioned gas station, your windshield that clean your solar panels just by the vorticity of the atmosphere of Mars alone. Again, in my model, arguing for a lot denser air uh, to be effective at at cleaning than the one 100th that we're being told. So you're saying this is nearly a bigger version of a dust devil phenomenon? Uh,
6: not, not directly a dust devil phenomenon, but uh, first uh, there wasn't any measurement on Mars yet. On the Martian surface we don't have any electrostatic measurements of dust devils or any electrostatic measurements at all yet uh, because uh, the latest, the previous mission which had an electrostatic or an electromagnetic sensor on board was a crash Chiaparelli lander, the European lander. And uh, uh, the latest one is the Chinese lander, uh, the rover, which has an uh, electric field detector, but we don't have any data from Uh-oh. that yet. And the only measurement about dust devil force taken on Earth, where electrostatic measurements in dust devils on Earth have been taken here in the U.S. and other locations. Uh, that, that was the base on I was referring to. Okay,
0: so we should get into some basic physics, which is that if you have a lower density of atmosphere compared to Earth, lower densities favor higher charge and higher charge separation so you can get higher voltages so when you know the voltage is is short-circuited by some mechanism you'll have a lot more energy stored to play with am i am
6: i right yeah that uh, that is the advantage of the low density martian atmosphere that you have a stronger electric effect because the uh, the electric conductivity is lower of the atmosphere, the dielectric, dielectric, dielectricity is higher, that you have a better charge separation. And what, what we already see uh, is the laser uh, the laser analysis experiment on the rover, which is creating a small plasma while it is firing its laser at the uh, rock samples. It's, this plasma glow created by the laser is much larger. On Mars than on Earth, so that is that is a measurement, but it's oh. not really conclusive. But
0: see, if we're if, if if we go with my model, which I'm obviously stealing from Lowell, and we say from Lowell's measurements, you know, which went back decades and decades into the you know 19th century when he first set up the observatory there at Mars Hill in uh, Arizona, they had settled on an atmosphere of Mars about one tenth the density of what we're breathing. Then NASA comes along in the 1960s with Mariner 4 flyby and with Calori's radio occultation experiment uh, NASA says that it measured the atmospheric density of the surface to be 1/100th one which is 10 times lower than mole and we've been stuck with that from NASA for the last uh, you know 50 60 years. But if you have a lower atmosphere than Earth but higher than the canonical NASA uh, numbers, you kind of get to the best of both worlds because you have a, a better environment for charge separation and there's no humidity to worry about because it ain't rained here for millions of years. But you then have more energy density because you've got more stuff to play with, more atmosphere more charge more dust and then you've got the um, density of the air that will support the dust that's lifted up electrostatically and it will be suspended so again i'm looking at this and i'm saying this tells me it's another data point that says the atmosphere of mars is not what nasa for 60 years has been saying the atmosphere of mars is just can't be the numbers don't work
6: Uh, there, I agree. There, uh, there is something strange ongoing, <laughs> and not just with the, with the sky color. Uh, if it's really well, they're all related.
0: They're, they're, uh, hang on, hang on. They're all related because, um, by the way, when you put these napkin images together, the sky turns out to be a beautiful pale blue.
6: Yeah, that is. Uh, um, the color calibration on my website is uh, actually, it's static. I, I once created uh, an adaption for uh, each camera, and this, this adaption is applied to each raw image. And it is not, uh, it is not a white balancing even, so it's the same static settings applied to each image. And that explains why you sometimes see some variation in the color between uh, within one sole even uh, in separ- several locations. But in general, uh, the sky is white, uh, bluish, and not red in, in those images. Mm.
0: OK, what's in, what's uh, uh, image number four in your radio picture
6: section? Uh, image number four, uh, that is also a 3D map from a different uh, system taken, uh, which uh, has a high resolution. Uh, uh, digital elevation model of the landing area. And it is from the Rice University in Houston. And you can go to the website and uh, move around interactively and take measurements. And you see, especially you see this ridge in the background, much better in in this 3D view, where uh, the, the dust ring finally settles. Because in the third image we see that this dust ring hits the slope of this uh, lowland, and then suddenly stops. That is also surprising. It is not raising much above the slope, it is stopping there. And uh, in this 3D uh, interactive uh, surface map, you can uh, move around and get a better impression about this location.
0: So it's right. really a ground effect.
6: It is near the ground, uh, only a few meters above the ground. It is not rising high. And uh, I looked around above, uh for similar phenomena on earth or other locations and found one on the moon, because on the moon uh, in the 1960s, the unmanned surveyor missions found some similar effect where they detected above one meter above the lunar surface during uh, near the terminator, that means uh, the the separation line between day and night. They noticed a dust cloud uh, one meter above the surface moving around which was never analyzed in more detail later because no other mission was focusing on this near surface location. Yeah. Uh, Holger, we're at, the bottom high, of the,
0: uh, yeah. we're at the bottom of the air. We will pick this up shortly.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, Keith, I get too wrapped up in the science. You've got to let me know audibly, audibly, audibly. <laughs> anyway, you're on the other side of midnight. My guests this morning are Holger Eisenberg, Ron Gerbrand. Um, Kim Saunders and Keith Morgan is in the background and Cynthia is hovering as Cynthia does during the shows and uh, if we have to upload anything she is there. I mean it's amazing what she can do with almost no warning. When we return we are going to I'm going to elicit some reaction from our other two guests to Holger's really fascinating uh, data set and what the implications might be in terms of my favorite model which is of course there is a dome over yezro and if there is a dome could that explain with conventional physics the appearance and then sudden disappearance of this potentially electrostatic phenomenon we shall see you're on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland We shall return.
5: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Listen while you travel, or as an environment for your endeavors. $0.08 an episode, $0.02 per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
0: We are back. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. You're on the other side of Midnight, my guest this morning. Too numerous to mention, so let me get right. to. By the way, I want to thank Tommy Vaughn for those promos. I mean, he really has an ear. And that beautiful English voice. Well, sorry, guys. She's an AI. Anyway, um, Kim, as an engineer, what do you think of uh, the extraordinary anomalous dust storm at Yezero?
4: Happen. but are there any other images further to the right of this this panorama I, I
6: search I search for them but could not find any with the dust cloud uh, there are images of the right uh, but they don't show anything uh, no movement around and and uh, the reason why those very three images are showing it is
2: in I don't
6: know all the details there, but I guess they have an automatic detection of movement and that uh, only those images are sent back to Earth, which notice. Wait, wait, wait. wait.
0: You mean you think they have like a motion sensor? So if something unusual happens, the spacecraft automatically takes pictures?
6: Yes, that is my guess. Because those those very thin uh, white images near the horizon are taken to monitor for dust devils and uh, this, this coincidence that those three images show the dust clouds and no other images, is that is, I guess, a proof that there is some automatism going on there that it is selecting specific images and sending those.
4: Okay, so let me just be very specific. Are you saying that there are more photographs further to the right of the panorama which do not show dust? Uh,
6: but not from the same time. That is, okay, I'm asking it
4: specifically yeah. at the same time.
6: Yeah, no, no, I have not seen any from the same, uh, I, I have not seen any <laughs> uh, with the dust cloud. I have not looked at the timestamp exactly. Uh, if you go to this uh, the soil 117 uh, site on my website, uh, you will get all color images. And there are, uh, to my knowledge, no no black and white images uh, taken by the NAFCAM at that day. And you see, you see other NAVCAM images, but no dust cloud there. And uh, NAVCAM is 90 degree field of view. So you only need four images to cover the whole 360 degree horizon, but no dust cloud is visible. Uh, the timestamp is, is the second long number in the image ID, for uh, 10 digits, that is the timestamp in seconds. And uh, we can compare them. I have not looked at those in detail yet, but at least no dust is visible there. Yeah.
4: Okay. From, from my perspective, I would like to throw a few cats into the pot to see what happens. Um, if you look at the Holger's item number one, you can see the dust is in fra- the first frame on the right-hand side, and as it moves to the second frame in this GIF, it's yeah, it, it changes, the dust changes as it sort of, uh, what can I say, traverses over the terrain. And the third, you can see the dust is moving to the left. So what I'm seeing is that on the right-hand side, the and bearing in mind that there's perspective, there's foreshortening, there's, you know, lens effects, all sorts of things in play here. But I think that when you look on the right of the animated GIF, the dust seems to be, higher than it is on the left as it disperses to the left and i think that it's also partially in the sky which uh, the dust is actually not obscuring but sort of coming between myself you know, the the viewers eye point and the background should we say the sky scene and i'm just going to speculate here i wonder if the dust or the origin of this this vector is actually coming from above imagine snow coming off the roof of a garage or something like that imagine as it falls down it hits the ground and as it hits the ground it then vectors off in in a sort of a what should we say vaguely c- um, you mean circular you mean direction. like a
0: massive downdraft yes well then you have to explain ready everybody how does dust I'm materialize ready. in midair and then fall to the surface? Where is it coming from? And I, I'll leave that I
4: suspended.
6: You would like Huh? I thought you'd like this. Story.
0: I love this idea. Holger, do you understand what he's saying?
6: Uh, I, I, I agree that the energy is coming from above. No, but what he's saying the
0: dust source itself is falling. Like yeah. one of the major problems the FAA has with aircraft in the united states well all over the world but the faa that determines aircraft safety here is that you have microbursts around thunderstorms where you have vigorous upwelling in the middle of a thunderstorm and then at the edges it has a violent downdraft and it literally the, the air is moving so fast because of reverse convection that it sucks the aerodynamic lift out from under an airplane's wings And airplanes have fallen out of the sky because they've lost lift because of the air is moving in these highly energetic storms. What I think, Tim, you're proposing is a similar phenomenon is occurring here where the air is falling down, localized very specifically in one area between us and the northern crater rim. And it's coming from the sky but it didn't get transported in from somewhere else, which means the source has to be in the sky. So I'm going to now, you know, vocalize what I'm thinking, and everybody's going to say you've got to be nuts. What if going for the punchline? What if a <laughs> section of the dome literally fragmented and collapsed and dissolved into dust and fell to the surface north of Percy, and we're seeing? the wind carrying it from left to right as a result.
4: Bingo. Wow.
0: That, that, would,
6: that would do it, and we don't, and uh, I, I would be glad that uh, then there wouldn't be any dome anymore. <laughs> because no, I'm no, not no, 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 no 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 no, 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 no. No, no, no,
0: no, we're talking a small subsection, a small portion, because it doesn't take much mass if you, if you shatter it, if you fragment it into small multiple micron sized fragments a small amount of mass can create a huge amount of optical material that will interact with you know the light and look like dust blowing around so it's not the dome itself collapsing it's only a small portion of a vast structure still remaining i
6: completely i completely agree with you richard because i'm personally seeing the dome as metaphor the wait, dome is a metaphor for the truth-protective layers (laughs) which need to be cleaned away. And with this, Mm. one part is removed, now something is revealed.
2: You know, it's
0: just my luck that Holger, who's not an American citizen, pulls out a statement by Neil Armstrong at the (laughs) White House in 1995 relating to lunar exploration. Truth, you know, has... Uh, protective layers and and transports it to Mars. Uh, okay, I'll I'll go with your metaphor and I'll raise you the fact that this is another piece of cooperative circumstantial evidence that there is something physically anomalous over Yezero, which from a whole bunch of other evidence, and I'm sorry, I was going to make a list of all the lines of evidence we have for the physical reality of this ancient dome and I Couldn't get to it because I got distracted in Miami, got in the way and all that. I will do that for next week. But this is another really amazing piece of evidence. And Tim, you are very sharp eyed to think that this stuff seems to have materialized downwelling from the sky without being transported in. And we know this thing has got to be eroding constantly. If it's there, if it's real, it's not going to be static and it's such a massive structure that portions of it could disappear in in a night, and you never even miss it because it's so huge and so massive.
4: Well, I had a little brainstorm with Ron uh, this week, email uh, yes. back and forth, and we were again just going over what the possible, yeah, you know, what the possibilities could be about what this dome is, if indeed it is a dome, if indeed it is there, and I I don't mean that in any true way, but I'm just saying that, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have, what can I say, two plus two equals four evidence about this. We're having to look pretty hard to find the lead. And some of the lead involves, you know, using Photoshop or similar products to to... Really intensify the images and invert them and, and play with the, the, the gain and the brightness and all sorts of contrast and so on. And then you do start to see things which are unusual. So it, it's not something you can see with the naked eye on on the surface, and it's not something which you can logically say, okay, that's just just a you know a thirty mile wide dome. It, so we're having to look very carefully for the the evidence, the, the trail of breadcrumbs. And I was suggesting to Ron that. You know, we've been through before. I've been through before. You know, either it's built like an igloo with shaped blocks, so it's sort of monolithic, it or it's an engineered structure with beams and columns and that type of thing. It could be geodesic, uh, like a golf ball. It could be um, like the nanotechnology, like these little robotic, yeah, robotic uh, ants, if you like, that crawl up to the right place, hold on to each other, deactivate, and hey, that's the structure. Or it could even be about exactly. It could even be something which is far more, you know, ethereal. It could be interdimensional. It, it could be something where somebody isn't, you know, created a thoughts and they manifest the matter to, to equal the thought. And it's, it's you know, something is left there. But I mean, you know, we, we also grew up with, with Star Trek and they have these uh, holodeck, Ron pointed that out. I mean, you know, a holodeck is a holographic projection and a physical force field working in harmony to give the illusion of being in an environment that's just not there.
2: Mm-hmm. So
4: if you have a force field, let's just say, let's, let's go crazy. a 2nd Let's just say the dome is a force field. Then let's say that force field has requires power. It requires energy, it requires whatever torsion physics, whatever it is to make it work. And maybe it's on its last legs, maybe it's dying out, maybe it's deactivated, part of it's broken. Maybe something crashed through it, meteorites, obviously, or asteroids or falling debris or or even NASA and NASA landers, you know, come through this structure, apparently. Uh, Let's say it's a force field that is up there. Now, let's say a part of it is suddenly deactivated for some particular reason. Now, that would allow an awful lot of, what can I say, space dust, which is collected over thousands and thousands of years, to suddenly fall down with gravity, frankly. And that could be the downdraft of dust we then see well, hitting the ground.
5: I, all
0: right, I'm, I'm, I'm with you up to that point, but there is no such thing as space dust sitting on this dome. And I will tell you why. Why is that? We, we know the dome is seven miles high. We have measurements, a whole bunch of... Me- I got to put this list together because I think people have forgotten how many pieces of circumstantial evidence from totally different directions we have the reality of this thing so i'm going to make i'll I'll do that i'll promise to do that between now and next week okay so because you have dust storms on mars that are planetary wide and rage at 300 miles an hour obviously based on this observation whatever the winds and density of the atmosphere on mars are are very effective at moving what we're seeing in uh, uh, holger's uh, gif animation very rapidly at 300 miles an hour from the left to the right, ru- to the i'm sorry from the right to the left right right so any accumulated dust on a dome above us would long since have reached an equilibrium where it's maybe some residuum but it cannot accumulate because the dust storms the planetary dust storms will basically blow it away and move it somewhere else on mars so what i'm thinking is it a real physical piece of structure? The dome is holographic. I think it's physical. I think it's made of glass. I think it's made of intelligent glass, the smart architecture that I've been discussing. Why do I think that? Because in some of the mass cam and especially the super cam images of of objects on the ground that they've taken, you can actually see the microcircuitry circuitry in the images and i will bring those to the table next week and propose those as additional evidence of smart architecture of the ancient martians so in that scenario what percy was fortunate to capture is that a small portion of the physical dome overhead literally let go collapsed fell to the surface under martian gravity when it hit It created a huge local dust cloud event, which then for some reason is radiating outwards in a ring, hugging the surface at 300 miles an hour, indicating some extraordinary energy source, which gets back into the idea of the physical dome. Because if you have a glass inverted salad bowl in my simple model, Upside down, seven miles high, 30 miles wide, made of trillions of separate fragments all stuck together, those that remain. If it's glass, we know it will have extraordinary dielectric properties. It's an insulator. As the wind of Mars blows over it, you will get charge separation. You might get extraordinary charge separation. That, in fact, could have been what triggered The collapse of a small portion up near the apex which then falls down and in these electric fields caused by wind where you can see the wind um, the 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 polarity between positive and negative charges will accelerate the dissipation in ways that we're seeing in other words the dome even though it may be dead Jim it's still interacting with its environment electrostatically, electrodynamically, and all you need for it to do that is it to be made of one omnipresent material we know is on the surface of all the silicate planets of the solar system, i.e. silicon dioxide, i.e. glass.
3: Okay. Is that Ron? Yeah, I was just I've been quiet because I'm just this is all just right on the money and you finally mentioned the energy fields. But uh if the dome is made of let's just go with the tangible part of it, uh some very degraded material at this point, then it's also going to have a lot of space to store a little dust that might happen to blow by and it could get shaken loose. You know, true. By,
0: true. The, yes, yes, you know, you're
3: right. Any kind of force, and that then that would be a source without anything without anything major falling down. But uh, I everything's no. You're all. This is at least as good as I can possibly thought to explain any of it. I. Uh, <clears throat> but I do have one other observation. People were talking about. You asked about the um, Tim. You asked about them extending the pictures. You know, off. Yes. To, out of the frame that we see, and in fact. If, you, if anyone goes back and looks at the multitude of pictures that were taken of that um, <clears throat> bear temple that they called Kodiak, um, the, um, uh, the lots and lots of pictures taken pointed that way while they were getting everything sorted out. There are some of those pictures that show a dust cloud behind it. Because this is proof positive, Holger's uh, animation is proof positive that, yes, it's a dust cloud moving by, and it's not always there. And some of those figures show this this fuzzy yellowness, if you will, uh, behind it. And, you know, nobody was paying any attention to it when the mission started. You're just going, okay, did they fuzz up the image? Is this just a calibration thing? But it's there in some of them, and it's obviously much less there (laughs) and others so anybody can find all the examples they want that these things move around because none of those are from the same time frame as those images that holger put together so therefore it does happen occasionally it didn't it wasn't just a one-time event
0: okay holger i have a question for you given the extraordinary visual nature of this phenomenon i mean it's it's beautiful it's gorgeous it's mars in dynamic dynamism as opposed to a static you know uh, where nothing ever happens have you had the time or the inclination or the energy to go back and look at the navcam pans or the mastcam pans whatever camera's looking at the horizon synoptically going back to landing to see if something like this has happened before And and could happen again, because one of the things politically that I'm kind of confused by and baffled by is that this is such an extraordinary event, which you put together the right frames to document exquisitely, and nobody
6: else is commenting. Indeed, it was surprisingly quiet on the internet in discussions. Uh, It's stunning. It's it's like, why the hell
0: doesn't anybody say, good grief, look at that, and nobody on reddit or on unmanned spaceflight.com or any of the other boards where i've been kind of haunting to see what's going on from inside because there's a lot of leaks from inside jpl to these boards nobody is like commenting on this as a what the hell just happened phenomenon
6: could uh, could be that that the scientists are now uh, eagerly writing papers about it, <laughs> so they don't have time to publish. Yeah, but how do, but you, how actually, do you control
0: public yeah, discussion? I think that's probably it. No, 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 Ron. don't don't get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, sorry. These boards are yeah. run by civvies, civilians. They have input from experts at JPL leaking from the team under pseudonyms or whatever. Some of them actually are... Using their real names, there's a guy named Ellison and another guy named Kaplinger who actually are accredited, um, you know, JPL members, team members who post under their own names. Wondrous in the era of the internet, people would actually post under their own name. What a what a what a phenomenal you know discovery. Anyway, but none of the civilians who are just looking at this as gee whiz, except for Holger, who's not employed by JPL. He's not a member of the team. He, in fact, has some disagreements with some of those members. Uh, I, I think un, unmanned com has forbidden you from posting over there.
6: I think that they... No, I, I think correct. that's a hard... I, <laughs> I, I, think I cannot a, write there. Uh, I haven't asked again yet, uh, but... Uh, it might be useful if it, you did. Yeah. It might be useful if you
0: pretend you're a brand new person because nobody is commenting or analyzing this properly. And I find that politically as equally interesting as the physics of what we're seeing.
6: Yes, uh, In other words, if you,
0: have some yeah. people tried to post and the insiders are clamping down and censoring posts on this
6: phenomenon? I don't know, but uh, a few hours hmm. after I published it on Twitter and Facebook, uh, I noticed that uh, there are two other publications, uh, one on the Twitter account of the Mars rover itself. Uh, there is one Perseverance Twitter account. Uh, I guess it is managed by JPL or Associated. Yeah, of course. And there, there it was mentioned, but only one short posting. It got some replies, but no, in, no scientific or uh, uh, technical replies, just some general replies not not related to the topic.
0: I mean, Unmanned and Spaceflight.com uh, has set up a separate <clears throat> posting in their um, uh, yes. you know, perseverance uh, section for dust devils.
6: Yes, and they have one posting about it, but nobody replied to it. See, that's, that's what I find so
0: anomalous. It's <laughs> like, this is the most amazing thing since sliced bread not Indeed, coining uh, an old cliche, and nobody's commenting?
6: What's and, uh, wrong with this? Yeah, and, and the posting on Unmanned Spaceflight was on June 19th already. It was uh, uh, almost the day of the data release of that image, and but nobody replied since then to this posting. That was interesting.
0: <clears throat> well, I hate to say it, but David? guys, I think we're leading the pack again.
6: Yes, Ron?
3: Oh, no, I was well, that's uh, pretty much it. I think that uh, they're writing papers now. That was I, I mean, I was curious about that. Holger could verify, I'm sure, because I think he knows more people in uh, Europe than I do. But that, how do you uh, control,
0: How do you control the non-scientists, just the citizen observers, the haunters of these blogs, the people that look desperately for every new image and every new dust devil? And even enhance the pictures to show faint dust devils. How do you explain the lack of a reaction by the civilians to an extraordinary Yezero phenomenon? Extraordinary.
3: Well, let's well let's go back to conspiracy theory. Uh, Maybe they, maybe the civilians who don't realize the importance of something like that. Oh come on! Just look at the uh, damn picture.
0: Nothing like that has ever been seen.
3: Except at the beginning of the Martian movie when you get Matt Damon picked up and thrown through the air by a somewhat inexplicable dust storm on Mars. Yeah, but, I complained yeah, about every, that when the movie it, came out.
0: But everybody in the know knows in the canonical NASA model, it's only 1 one hundredth the pressure of the air here that the Matt Damon scene could not happen. That was movie magic. That was, you know, stretching the truth. That was suspension of disbelief. It wasn't real. Maybe not. So why no, is this phenomenon very... completely unobserved <laughs> and unanalyzed by anybody except Holger Eisenberg? Great Thank you. <laughs> anyway, hold it there. Perfect. Hold it there, everybody. My guests this morning are Holger Eisenberg, who we have mentioned many times because he is worthy of mention, uh, Tim Saunders, nautical engineer, and Ron Gerbrunn, our resident uh, generalist, generalist. Uh, I'm I'm trying to do two things at once here. Let me do this. Okay. We are obviously going to be returning to this subject, and we're going to extend our discussion of possible domes to some other places in the solar system, places that you would not think automatically would have domes. And boy, wait till you see the latest evidence, which has come in In just the last week You're on the other side of midnight My name is Richard C. Hoagland We shall return
5: Com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes.
0: Welcome back everyone. It is now Sunday morning here in the land of enchantment after midnight in the deserts of New Mexico, the land where the first atomic explosion on Earth in modern times was detonated just uh, a few miles to the south of me, I mean a few being relative. My guests this morning are Ron Gerbron, Holger Eisenberg, and Tim Saunders, and we're discussing this extraordinary dust cloud, dust storm, travel storm phenomenon on the floor of the Jezero crater. And the possibility that it literally could have been a chunk of the dome over Jezero, which the evidence I've compiled seems to strongly, uh, compellingly support, literally falling from the dome, either, either shredding itself and then falling, or falling as a chunk and then fragmenting into a trillion, trillion fragments when it hit the ground, spreading out from a loci as a series of concentric, expanding circles hugging the ground, like it wasn't brought in by the wind from someplace else, but it originated in Percy's field of view on three NavCam exquisite color images taken of that northern horizon and the northern crater rim well let's kind of expand on kind of expand our our, our point of view now and increase the uh, discussion of domes by looking at domes elsewhere in the solar system and i want to focus everybody back um on the other side of com on tonight's banner for the 26th for saturday that will take you to the guest page click on my items and that will take you to i'm going to point you to a specific number as soon as i do this okay have to get out of holger's amazing panoramas you want to kind of look at those again and again and again and we'll come back to some final thoughts on the dust in yezero uh shortly But I want to now turn your attention to my number eight. Okay. Number eight is a um, kind of a moment out of history. This is a black and white image of the moon shot in the 1960s on a piece of film under a secret, top secret CIA space program called Project Corona with the assistance of the US Air Force. And many years ago, when I was speaking at one of Stephen uh, Greer's events in Arizona, after my speech, a guy came up to me, uh, totally nondescript, you wouldn't pick him out of a crowd. You know, the cliche is if you sat next to him on the subway in New York, you would never notice him. He comes up to me, I think he actually had his hat, a cap in his hand. And he said um, very diffidently, Mr. Hogan, um, can I interrupt? Because I obviously was talking to a bunch of other people. I said, okay. And he says, "Um, I need to kind of talk to you. And I said, okay. And he kind of motioned toward the wall. And so we moved away from the people that I were talking to. And he said quietly, he says, I have a roll of film from the early Project Corona reconnaissance missions and
4: I went what
0: and he says I will give it to you but you have to come to Houston Houston Texas and pick it up well needless to say I mean there's a whole long soap opera attached to all this skullduggery secret agents people who got in there ahead of me and got a got the actual I mean it's it's like I should probably write it up in a book someday anyway bottom line is I got out of that whole roll of film, I got two or three frames to actually work with. What I found extraordinary, given the Project Corona, was billed as our first uh, leapfrog uh, national reconnaissance effort to put a satellite into orbit and look down on the Soviet Union and see where all their airfields and missile bases and uh, other, you know, warfaring Uh, emplacements were located um, on this particular piece of film that this guy had. And we know it was real because it was picked up. And I only got two or three frames from the source that kind of doled them out to me, who I will say was a national intelligence operative. Obviously they're tracking everything I say and do at these conferences. So this guy zapped in, went to Houston got the film, would not ever give it back to me. I never got the film I was supposed to. All I got was a report and two or three frames, but they were enough to convince me of an extraordinary reality because all of the frames on this particular roll of film, which had had an extraordinary journey from being launched uh, from Cape Canaveral to going into orbit to being photographed with a mega camera camera, built by the iTech Corporation to being deorbited over the Pacific to being brought back to land by, you know, a a C-130 aircraft to being then sent to Langley to being developed, to being analyzed by photo interpreters. And finally, somehow, years later, decades later, making its way to Houston, Texas, every single frame of that film, that amazing historical CIA spy camera film was not of Russian missile bases at all. Every single frame was of the moon. I mean, what? Yes, every single frame was shot from Earth orbit looking across 240 thousand miles of space at the moon in a project secretly sponsored with a you know burn before reading mandate by the cia looking at our own natural satellite not looking down at the soviet union the biggest cold war threat the biggest potential hot war threat with thousands of nuclear weapons aimed at the united states and missiles and bombers and all that For some reason, at the height of the Cold War, the Project Corona spacecraft was looking across space at the moon and not at the Earth at all. And you see, as item number eight, one of those frames, those little round things on the right, those are the analog dials. We're in a pre-pre-pre-digital era. This was analog film moved mechanically through a camera in front of lenses, behind mirrors, you know, on take-up reels, and then cut off, sent back to Earth in a reentry capsule and picked up over midair over the Pacific by the U.S. Air Force. And then secretly swept in to Langley to be analyzed of the moon. Well, this came to me, again, through a real physical source in in uh, Arizona when I was speaking there at one of Greer's conferences came to me from obviously a, a chain of information which was indisputable. There's no doubt of the providence of this film. So then the question is, why the hell was the CIA at the height of the Cold War not looking down from orbit, but looking up from orbit across a quarter of a million miles of a vacuum, That's where the details of that lunar image on frame number eight is most intriguing because you'll notice that there appears to be some detail at the Terminator on the left-hand side, the demarcation between daylight on the moon and darkness, night. The daylight's coming from the right. It's like a first quarter moon. That's the Apennines you can see at the upper edge of the uh, Terminator, about uh, two-thirds of the way up, but all the features on the Moon to the right of the Terminator appear to be overexposed, except if you actually play around with the light level in any decent computer program, there is detail there. It's just very, very obscured, like something is overlaying it and preventing us from seeing the surface. Well, when you go out at night and look at the full moon or look at a first quarter moon, you can see the surface, you know, without any problems at all. What could have caused this obscuration that's not overexposure in this again, official CIA leaked image? Answer, what if it's not taken or was not taken? Invisible light pose that the camera that was using it was it was taken from in earth orbit looking across space at the moon actually had quartz lenses which are trans which are, are transparent to ultraviolet light very short beyond the blue wavelengths and what we're seeing is a black and white image of an actual ultraviolet image taken in a very short wavelength region of the spectrum now why would the cia want to do that what if they were looking for something on the moon that would only show up in short short wavelength ultraviolet light and what could that be well to make a long story short this leaked image And two or three others that came into my possession through this tortuous, incredible soap opera, which involves Cloak and Dagger and, you know, spies and agents and intel and the deep state. That frame and the others told me that there was something obscuring the surface of the moon over the entire moon, not just one certain section. And it changed with the lighting angle between the surface, the sun, and the camera taking the picture. In other words, the sun angle, the geometry of taking the picture. And then if you now go to number nine and you look at the same image rotated upside down, so south is up and north is down, and then the inset on the left-hand side, you'll see that along the limb, along the edge of Of the moon with this weirdly obscured surface where from right to left, the surface becomes progressively harder and harder to see until at the edges of the moon, there's no surface left and all of that glistening pattern, that weird geometric pattern seems to be above the moon. Well, at the edge, we're looking slantwise through the maximum, what we used to call optical depth tangential to the lunar limb itself and as you can see from the inset at the lunar limb suspended just above it there is this line of light and dark geometric brightnesses there's a pattern there's a bright dark bright dark bright dark dark but it's a broken pattern indicating that it's made by something mechanical which has been broken which has been fragmented, which has been distorted by age and time and erosion. Erosion to what? Well, micrometeorites, because you're in a vacuum. This was an extraordinary global confirmation from a source none other than the central intelligence agency of the existence all over the moon of a now ancient, An aging and almost vanishingly thin, one-time amazing lunar dome covering, like a sheet of saran wrap, the entire lunar globe. Now, item number 10. What I've done here is I've compared, again, the same CIA image, flipped back upside down, so south is down on the left. And on the right, I've companioned it with a 2009 electronic infrared image in the thermal infrared taken by the LACROSSE mission that NASA sent to the moon in 2009. And, by the way, dedicated to my former employer and colleague, Walter Cronkite himself. You can look it up on Google. Anyway. The right-hand image showing the limb as bright in the visible spectrum on the left. On the right-hand frame, on the infrared frame, it shows it in multiple colors with the temperature grading from the coldest deep blue to the hottest bright red. And at the limb, there is this overlay of yellowish material grading rapidly to deep blue indicating... There is something, again, in the infrared, thermal infrared, suspended above the surface of the moon, which has a moderate temperature, then grades to deep, deep blue, which indicates very, very cold, like 250 below zero Fahrenheit. The yellow portion of the moon's surface and the yellow line of the dome arching over this entire quadrant of the moon as seen tangentially appears to not have the bright red 250 above zero temperature. It appears to be more like room temperature somewhere in the eighties or seventies. If I interpret the color and the color spread appropriately, in other words, two totally separate wavelength regions, one ultraviolet, in the short, short, short end of the spectrum, and the other the thermal infrared and the long, 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 long wave part of the EM spectrum were showing us based decades apart the same physical phenomenon. And this is what I call corroborative, scientific, compelling physical evidence for the reality as mind boggling as that might appear to people who are you know, freaked out by 12 stories of a condominium falling down, a mega, mega architecture built by a technology and a civilization which fully uh, accords with Clark's third law, which is any sufficiently advanced technology, even building domes around entire planets, is indistinguishable from magic which takes us to number 11. This is where Andrew Curry, our resident uh, artist and illustrator, uh, Canadian, and does extraordinary work for mainstream movies and television and commercials and all that good stuff. He tinkered up for me many years ago a close-up of one of the dots, one of those speckles on the limb of the moon, both in the visible, the ultraviolet, and the infrared. And this is what he imagines it might look like. We do have some Apollo imagery, which kind of resembles this, but I wasn't able in time for the show to uh, to bring it up. And maybe in the uh, archive for Club 19.5, I will go back and we'll add like an 11A, which brings us to number 12. Now, in the interim between the Project Corona imaging and the um, Apollo imaging and then 2021, There have been a number of other players. There have been unmanned spacecraft like Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, which went to the moon in the uh, early 2000s. Sorry. And there have been an Israeli mission, which failed. There was an Indian mission, which also failed. These unmanned missions have had cameras that are much, much, much more sophisticated with much more linearity than the primitive film of the CIA 19. 50s era, or even the film of the 1970s Apollo era, and what I've done in number 12 is to put the, again, CIA image on the left. You can see the speckled geometry of the dome at the edge of the moon tangentially in the left-hand image with a spray of light material above it, which I think is also more eroded sections of upper levels of the dome until you get to background, which is the basic sky speckle that is in the rest of the image. On the right is a close-up of a section of the lunar limb from the Bereshit Israeli mission of a couple, three years ago. And this one, of course, is a CCD camera, not film. It's electronically sent back to Earth instantaneously at one and a half seconds light travel time. And lo and behold, at the edge of the moon, you see this incredible regular sawtooth dot space dot space dot space pattern which looks like nothing of the edge of any object that we would imagine we would see uh, in the solar system which leads us to number lucky number 13 because now a few days ago on uh, June 7th one of the modern current era generation spacecraft called Juno which has been circling uh, Jupiter since, uh, I think, 2016, I think. It could be a little shorter, maybe 2018. Anyway, it's been circling the moon, uh, circling uh, Jupiter in this very long elongated orbit because of the radiation, and every once in a while, it will encounter one of the four big so-called Galilean moons. Well, a few days ago, on June 7th, it made a rather spectacular close pass uh, within a a few hundred thousand miles of Ganymede and the camera is so damn good that it was able to take pictures the way the pictures are taken I'll, I'll give you a website at the very end where you can go to the Juno website and learn all about the Juno mission and the Juno camera if you're not up on this. The fact is that they released NASA released the raw imagery and then citizen scientists have been putting the raw imagery together and posting on the official Juno website um, their results. And this is one of the black and white images that they uh, worked on. If you click on it, it gets much bigger. If you click on it again, it gets even bigger. And if you look at that big, big image, and you really need a computer screen to see this, your phone won't do it. You can see from the lower left, to the upper right, crossing the top of the frame, there is this extraordinary geometric patterning starting with an array of regular dots along the limb but extending upward into space for several tens of miles showing an extraordinary vertical height of an obviously in Mutter much better shape and condition, lunar-like geometric dome over all of Ganymede, like Earth's moon, except the Ganymedian version appears to be in much better shape and condition, probably because it suffered much less erosion after the initial event that destroyed a lot of the surface features in the solar system, uh about sixty six million years ago, and finally, you know you can linger over these at your own leisure. if you go to number fifteen, okay, this is now again composited by me and and um, uh, processed by me in this little old computer is one of the color frames made by putting the three red, green, and blue spin scan images from the Juno camera together and then just enhancing the brightness the saturation and the contrast and what you see is as you move around the limb of Ganymede in color this extraordinary physical dome changes both geometry and color as you move in angle <clears throat> changing angle relative to the sun which is at jupiter half a billion miles away and it's almost a single searing point of light in the sky of overwhelming brightness so how do i explain the odd colors the barber pole appearance and all this well it's these vertical structures that we're seeing at the limb because they'd be at right angles to our line of sight are in fact triangular. If they're huge physical prisms, again, made of glass, a very special space developed glass, then as the angle changes, you will get prismatic reflections and refractions that will specifically refract and beam into space, multi prismatic colors from the prisms changing with aspect angle as your line of sight changes from left to right or all around the limb of Ganymede. And so I can say really without much fear of physical contradiction to certainly my own assessment of the data, there is an ancient in much better condition lunar dome over Ganymede, another moon, and it may have been one of the sources of robert heinlein's peculiar mentioning in a book he wrote a child's novel a juvenile novel called farmer in the sky where he has colonists in a future sense someday finding ancient et artifacts on ganymede in the 1950s book written by robert heinlein farmer in the sky there are et artifacts found on ganymede how Number 16 is the link directly to the JunoCam NASA website where these images are stored. There are links to the rest of the JunoCam and Juno website at that uh, link. And so have fun, have at it, and uh, send me your thoughts when you've had time to take a look at this yourself. So now I will open up the floor to the rest of our guests this morning. Ron, Tim, Holger, your
3: reactions. Well, I've heard all this before from you. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't heard it anywhere else. Uh, the uh, oh, that, those pictures from the uh, CIA film are extraordinary, aren't uh, they? But yeah, well, any picture, any decent close-up picture of the polar areas of the moon uh, has that extraordinary, obvious artificial uh, structure there. You know, without people even thinking about domes and stuff i don't know i have a caveat which i think the ganymede pictures backed up um i'm not sure myself that the that luna was completely enveloped uh or maybe it didn't stay that way because there's so much evidence of somewhat smaller ones more along the lines of what um andrew's illustration
6: shows 50 seconds
3: uh all over the place and, um, yeah, if we if we get to my uh, picture, the, the, the I'll, I'll tell the,
0: you what, we are at no. the bottom of the hour. So let's hold it there. We'll come back for a reaction from Holger and Tim. I always love it when I ask a guest, you know, for reaction, they say, oh, this is all heck because you and I've talked about this before. That's always really, really good in live radio for guests to say that. But then Ron and I talk an awful lot, about an awful lot of stuff, including what's on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Last half hour on this uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, my guests, Tim Saunders, Ron Gervron, Olga Eisenberg. And, okay, we've already now heard what Ron thinks. Nothing to see here. Move along, move along. It's just, you know, a dull, boring lunar moon. <laughs> Tim, what do you think? I'm being hyperbolic, just a bit.
4: I just need to point out that the Corona project is absolutely amazing. I mean, to send a projectile up into, into orbit to, we're all using analog uh, technology to pinpoint the moon, to aim the camera, to focus it, to take the shot, to then disperse the film without, you know, subjecting it to, to you know, negative temperatures or very high temperatures, bring it back, catch it from a parachute with a C one hundred thirty or whatever they did. I mean that's absolutely incredible mission. So I It's think amazing what itself,
0: unlimited money can do, isn't it?
4: <laughs> well yeah. I mean just, just passing that I presumably that technology in itself would have been very top secret and at the time. And obviously if you do a practice run flying over you know, potential enemy lines, should we say put it that way during the Cold War, then you wouldn't want it to fall down and, and be sort of caught by the, the other side. So where, maybe where, where, the moon uh, was a was maybe the moon was a practice run before or maybe it was even just like a propaganda mission to say, look, this is what we can do with the moon, just imagine what we can do with uh, your, your 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 Yeah, but remember this city. wasn't
0: supposed to be propaganda, it was supposed to be top, top, top secret burned before you know, after after you look at it you have to shoot the guy. So mm. I don't think But so was, was Roswell supposed
4: to be top secret.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> Roswell was crashing wide open. This is a top secret military CIA Air Force collaboration. I mean, they even disguised the launches <clears throat> as part of a discovery series of science bio satellites in Earth orbit testing zero gravity on <clears throat> you know, sea urchin cells and potato plants and stuff like that. I mean they had layer of layer of disinformation so nobody until Clinton declassified the corona imagery in 1992 no one even knew the details of how this all worked. So the idea Are you think
4: that this this was
3: running on a potato power battery? No.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: very very funny. Okay.
0: Uh, No, I'm just saying that this was not for propaganda. They were interested in the moon. I mean, look, we know that the deep state has a weird sense of humor. What do they call this entire mission, this entire program? Called it Project Corona. What is a corona? It's the incredible luminous inner atmosphere of the sun seen during total eclipses, uh, rarely at any one point on Earth. Like about once every 300 years, if you stay in one place, will you see a total solar eclipse? And they named their entire project after a crown of something hugging the moon seen from Earth during eclipses. And I now got thousands of images taken during the uh, eclipse uh, of 2017, if not many more, showing that amateurs have been able to photograph, although they don't know it stunning details with state-of-the-art amateur telescopes and CCD cameras and technology where you can see amazing details of the dome Mm -hmm. all around the moon shot by amateurs who have no idea that that's what they've been photographing. Because again, what you cannot imagine, you cannot see. And they think they're looking at the corona 93 million miles behind the moon, around the sun. No, they're looking right at the limb of the incredible prismatic architecture of the remaining lunar dome around our own moon. And what I'm saying is that now that we've got much, much better shots taken from the Juno cam orbiting Jupiter of Ganymede, there is an astonishing, multi-layered, far more preserved uh, remnant with the same geometry that we see around our moon, but this one is around Ganymede.
4: Okay, well, Richard, I'm I'm very impressed by the the Ganymede image that you've presented, and I just want to take you through because I am I like to keep one foot on the ground when I when I talk about <laughs> these things. But what what comes to mind is you mentioned a triangular structure around the limb of uh, Ganymede.
0: No, no, I'm a triangle, I'm, I'm hang on, I'm
4: three-sided when no, no, I when you did mention triangular, yeah, yeah
0: if you're looking at these vertical, think of them as super skyscrapers, okay? Each one individually would bear <clears throat> some of the dome load. They're like rows of monoliths, side by, mm. side by side by side by side, and I think that reason that I said triangular is because they appear to be um, geometrically spaced and angled. So we're get, getting different portions of the rainbow spectrum beamed at the Juno camera depending upon the angle between the spacecraft, the limb of Ganymede, and the sun. Mm-hmm. And if I you, understand.
4: If I you, understand. If, but my, my point, my reaction is that if you have a three-sided perception of, of whatever we're seeing, and you also mentioned there are three color RGB photographs which are multi-layered into one mm-hmm. then it could potentially be okay to be a, a very skeptical frame of mind one artifact one object one dot one pixel which is shown three because of the three different color plates i just would like to you know just discover if that is the case if those three images are taken instantaneously at the same time the three different look, filters, did... or they are taken six no, 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 One
0: no. They are yeah. they're, they're taken simultaneously because obviously with okay. a spin, span, spin, scan, spin. Say mm-hmm. that faster. Uh, underwater, upside down, spin, scan camera. The 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 actual scanning is done in part by the physical rotation of the Juno spacecraft.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so the CCDs in the camera. There's an actual technical paper that uh, Ron and I have been discussing the last week I guess he didn't send you a copy Ron you will correct that you will send him a copy of the paper like you sent to me
3: I'm very sorry I didn't know I was supposed to yeah okay nice you're on its way to, you're supposed to read my mind anyway
0: in that incredible document Tim they lay out with incredible specificity how this all takes place the mechanics of the camera how it's put together the CCDs the filters the filters are hard glued over the CCD elements. So red, mm. green, and blue are taken simultaneously. They also talk about the sequencing electronically, like if they make a mistake and they read the CCDs backward, they get a hopelessly scrambled and blurred image. So from all the internal calibrations of the camera you know mechanism, plus the other <clears throat> images that the Juno cam has taken of the limb of Jupiter where we see nothing like this. The only place it shows up so far, because we haven't gone close to anything else in the Jovian system with this camera yet, except Ganymede um, is Ganymede and the alternating, you know, greenish red, greenish red, greenish red. And then it changes, it morphs along the limb, both in geometry And sequence of colors and if you look at the color image which i sent you earlier in the week the whole disc Mm -hmm. look around the whole limb it changes appropriately to the changing sun angle between the camera ganymede and the sun like a huge planetary size set of prisms that each element is vertical like a tower like a super tall tens of miles high tower that I think is triangular because otherwise, how would you get the geometry to give you one part of the prism spectrum, then the other part, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with great regularity until the whole angle changes to where another color dynamic enters in. It's it's just a tour de force of what's Mm. there that I've been waiting patiently since I first glommed onto the idea uh, I must admit, after Ron, Ron thought of this years ago for totally different reasons, but I've now got the proof there is an ancient super dome over Ganymede that was built millions of years ago by this ancient global super civilization that remodeled everything in the solar system and then disappeared in a scenario that uh, we don't have time to go into tonight. Mm.
3: Oh. I, I, Richard, uh, can- can we introduce us at one uh, visual aid? I think uh, I think it helps with your argument. Cuz I didn't mean that the the moon never had a dome over it. I think it fell down and they had to replace it. But When you I, say the
0: moon, you mean our go,
3: moon. Our moon, yeah, our moon, okay. Luna. If uh yeah, but if you look at the first if you look at the first of my images where I've got several of those more distinct okay. or You want
0: to you want to go to uh, fastlane. At the top of the page on the guest page, you want to go to yeah. fast links, click on Ron's items that will take you to there's Ron, oh, nice images, okay, go for it
3: yeah okay now the yeah the upper uh the upper left on that uh, four by there is um Ganymede, and that picture was taken by Galileo. I looked at the Juno once, but they haven't given us enough material from it yet for me to get what I wanted out of it, and to me. I think of a glazed donut, and if you look at that with that in mind, you'll see that there's a texture, you know, that shouldn't be there. I mean, like parts and parts are higher up than others. You can see the glass if you just allow yourself to believe it could be there. Hang on,
0: are we sure? And, this? Are we sure this is Galileo? Because it looks like Voyager to me. Remember, I was there. No,
3: it's Galileo. Yeah, I know, but I t- no, I tagged them all as I was doing them to make okay. sure. Okay, all right. Uh, that's yeah, that, that's. Uh, and I wanted some consistency, so I just used the Galileo images. It, uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it wouldn't really matter. It's the same planet, but it's, uh, I, to the best of my knowledge, it's uh, um, Galileo. And um, let me now you get now you got me freaked out. I want to check. Yeah, that's what it says. Anyway, yeah, if you if you look if you look at that, the uh, see the feature that caught my eye originally on any of these about the idea of domes was those what look like white spots or dust bunnies all over the surface. If you look at those closely, you'll see that they're, um, they look, they don't look like they're on the surface and Callisto right next to it, by the way, uh, was also mentioned as a place to terraform, uh, in that Robert Heinlein novel you mentioned. And yeah. it was also mentioned, but it was also mentioned by Lynn Carter in uh, one of his books. And, um, uh Kim Stanley Robinson in one of those Mars different color books. Uh everybody was thinking about doing that. But um if you look at the if you look at number two, which is just that picture broken into its component elements, you know, like the channels, that's like the C Y M K channels, the uh black, yellow magenta um, cyan. And you'll notice that there's big chunks missing. I mean there's parts that didn't photograph. It looks like it's got a big bite out of it and so something there was so transparent or so non-existent that you couldn't see it and the uh, third one see I like to throw them all together is a picture that i pulled off of um twitter the other day of of a drive by shooting and a close up of the juno uh image and I see a great similarity in the da- in the way the damage looks. Those don't look like craters in the Juno image. They look more like the bullet holes in that poor guy's windshield.
0: They look like shock waves in a glass dome of extraordinary yeah, extent when something crashed through, like an asteroid or a comet or whatever.
3: Yeah, it looks like it didn't make it through. That's got to be very sturdy. But I mean, that's you know, to me, that's evidence because if you look at the the reason I included those other moons on there, as you can see. Like on Europa, there's nothing like that. No. You know, that's another candidate, but it's just the surface. Well, in
0: looking at at your color combo, all right, uh, the Galileo combo for image number one in your section, if you look at Ganymede and Callisto, they have a distinct brightening at the limb. If you look at Europa and Io, the limb gets darker indicating they don't have domes, which again, from physical reasons, uh, I would not expect. But I obviously now have to do a lot more searching on Callisto. And maybe if we're really lucky and the Juno gods are with us, there'll be a close flyby of Callisto by Juno in the next few months.
2: Yeah. And you know, there are more.
0: Bit- you know, they, they've extended the mission now. Oh. They didn't expect this thing because of the radiation around Jupiter, which is really intense. It would try your french fries just lying out in the open in like an hour or two. Uh, they didn't expect the radiation. Uh, that, well, let me put, put it this way. They expected the radiation to kill the Juno spacecraft uh, long before now. They only allocated like eight orbits. And we're now in orbit number 34 and no end in sight because they're going up above and below in this very elongated orbit, which was designed to do this. They're escaping the the maximum out of the radiation belts, like the Van Allen belts around Earth, except Jupiter's are 10,000 times worse. So they're able to get more data out of their mission and more flybys of the moon's and maybe they'll give us close-ups of Ganymede's, of uh, Callisto's dome, provided, of course, they're not listening <clears throat> and they don't know what not to
3: show us. Good point. Tim? Well, that's about it for those. Yeah, go ahead. Tim? Mr. Saunders.
4: Hi. There you yes, are. I'm, I'm just deep in uh, Iathesis at the moment. Thanks, Ron. Nice images.
3: Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, Iapetus, of course, is uh, one of Saturn's moons.
4: Of course, everybody knew that.
3: But uh, I threw it in there because it absolutely has no sign of that. In fact, it looks like the whole damn thing is artificial. If you look at that close-up of the surface.
4: Sure. I was just going to comment that it looks like a freelance standing moon for Lucasfilms. You know, it, it's... Uh... Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, how many here have read, and Holger, please jo- join in, Uh, Robert, uh, Robert, uh, Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy.
4: I've listened to it for sure. Okay. It's an audio book. I read it.
0: You know that the central MacGuffin in Isaac's vision was a super galactic empire controlled by one mega planet, which had been literally completely made artificial. So there was no natural surface. were just layer and layer and layer going down for i guess hundreds of miles of of a huge beehive of geometric construction of artificiality of a super 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 condo kind of living and when we talked about the pluto flyby some years ago uh, i talked about trantor which was the name of the asimov super civilization you know galaxy capital um in terms of what the architecture on Pluto looks like. I'm beginning to think that all these moons were basically, when they were new, were Trantor-like. And there's the possibility that what we're interpreting, even on our own moon, as a dome is fragments of the remaining structure on top. And we're looking deeper down at other levels to the lower layers that have been exposed. By constant bombardment of micrometeorite erosion.
4: That would Very well be the case. I mean, they they, they don't look natural. But that's the they point. do and, uh, not
0: look natural. And Iapetus is one of my favorites, which is a whole program in and of itself. Um, okay, we've got about um, ten minutes, nine minutes left. Holger, you've been very silent.
6: I want... Uh, about the artificiality, about the surface of Ganymede. For me, it looks like someone tried out arc welding there on the surface. <laughs> it looks like some training sphere for arc welding because you see those uh, chains of craters, craters inside crater, and you see the, the same artifacts in a microscopic level if you try out arc welding on metal surfaces on Earth in a smaller scale.
3: Hmm. So you're thinking there are electrical effects?
6: Uh, yes, about the craters, that is one theory, uh, not just by me, but also by the larger community. No, yeah, of so, well, let, let, of
0: let,
2: let us remove
0: from, from serious discussion tonight what could have caused the surface features on the disk, on the globe, and focus instead on what we're seeing at the limb. Because I don't know any <clears throat> natural explanation, conceivable natural explanation, for what we're seeing around Ganymede.
4: Richard, may I ask? Yeah, sure. The, sure. I, I mean, I, I always like to know how and why. And I know that we're looking at something. I I agree with you. If you look at the limb of Ganymede, it looks like there is something there. I mean, that that's, that's for sure. There is some form of geometry. It doesn't look natural. And, uh, and
0: it changes depending upon your aspect angle. If, yes. if, 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 if this was noise in the camera, let's make an absurd, you know, kind of statement. If it's noise in the camera, something wrong with the camera. Camera doesn't know the different parts of the scene should be responded to differently. So why would the geometry change with aspect angle to the limb of Ganymede unless it's real physical geometric structure being viewed in a three-dimensional reality by a camera flying by in space.
4: Well, in, in a 3D software I use for creating renderings from 3D models, you know, there's a theoretical photon that comes out of the viewpoint, goes towards the target, and then, you know, reflects, refracts, whatever it does to the, the light sources in order to create the geometry and the code in order to create the, rend- the illusion of the rendering. And reality, of course, that's the other way around, the light source, Floods the object with, uh, I guess, photons, and then we see the reflections and the refractions and so on bounce back into the lens onto the CCD mm-hmm. chips. So yes, the the sculpture is dictated by the light source. Exactly. And yeah, and <clears throat> but the how and the why. and I know this is probably not enough time to discuss this, but Ganymede, if I'm not mistaken, is a ice has an ice frozen surface. Um, well,
0: that's what we're told, but of course a lot of NASA information that we're told turns out to be untrue. So, true. what's but really it, it, going it on shows, in the
4: enemy? It shows stretch marks, it shows sort of movements, you know, but we can sort of liken it to you know, an analogy of like something on the North Pole, for example, on Earth. Um, we can see the marks where it sort of you know, melts, freezes, moves and so on, like ice drift, I guess, I guess that's what we're seeing. But I'm just worried about how a structure could survive uh, the movement of the surface below it. So I'm still asking how can I do that? That's where
0: we get to Arthur's third law. See, one of the things I think we're, we're in danger of doing is thinking in the 21st century that we know everything there is to know. And we do not. I would be willing to advance a modest hypothesis that the technology used to build these incredible structures far beyond our current capabilities, not only to imagine, but to actually, you know, bring about in terms of engineering, that there's several missing physics puzzle pieces, like for instance, suppose, as Ron was suggesting earlier, or or was it you? Um, No, you, you were talking about a holographic kind of, of dome over over jezero right mm-hmm. so that you would yeah. have you would have a mixture of physical instrumentality and then invisible force fields and all you would need to keep such a structure present is for the projectors of the fields to remain uh constant to remain inviolable to remain in working order well one of the advantages of working with torsion field physics given that it draws the energy directly from the so-called energy of the vacuum, the zero point, the transition between dimensions, is that you don't have to worry about energy. And you don't have to worry about equipment living long because any equipment using this kind of interface would, by definition, be anti-entropic, which means the machines never degrade. It's like superconductivity. In Earth, in fact, superconductivity is one minor manifestation of the torsion field that no one has appreciated until relatively recently and once you set up a ring current in a superconducting ring it will go forever and ever and ever unless the ring is destroyed if you make arrangements that the ring is not destroyed the energy will last forever so i'm thinking that we're looking at a few orders of magnitude more interesting technology and physics than we currently think we understand.
4: So do you think that's what keeps the dome, the atmosphere above our own planet? No. A torsion machine.
0: Nope, 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 nope. And there's a electromagnetic fields? No, no. No. You mean shielding from the from the sun, from solar radiation, the solar wind? Well we well we know because we've done experiments that magnetic fields are very good at, you know, changing the direct trajectories of charged particles. And all of the solar wind is charged, protons, Mm -hmm. mostly electrons, a smattering of heavier elements. So, no, the invisible force field around the Earth is, in fact, a good old magnetic field. But out. Oh, thank you, dear. I will turn you down. But down uh, out at at Jupiter or around our own moon, in terms of longevity of the of the structure which we see optically, because you can't see a magnetic field optically, they're invisible. Whatever is doing this is very definitely optically visible. It's scattering light. It's scattering prismatic color. It's functioning according to the known laws of optics, except on scale, which is absolutely mind-boggling. And the Show's music, over. the music in the background, says, "We run out of runway." Hey, guys, tomorrow night, we're going to be uh, talking about UFOs. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant (laughs) UAPs. Oh, politics. I'll have Steve Bassett here. I'll have Joe Bookman. I'll probably have Ron and anybody else who wants to join Mm -hmm. back in. I invite them, one and all, because we're at the beginning of something extraordinary, which makes discussions of super civilizations all the more likely. Until tomorrow night Third star on the left Straight on till morning Good night everyone And keep looking up